You know, Rob, one of the movies that came out prior to the pandemic slamming us all in the face uh, was one that I was very sure was going to be awful. And that is Sonic the Hedgehog. I was I was pretty sure there was no point. What's the point in doing this movie? This is going to be it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous that you're even doing it. It's going to be silly. It's going to be what's the name of the guy who plays Cyclops in X-Men and then he stars in this thing? James Marsden. Um, James Marsden. I, I love James Marsden. I liked him in Superman Returns. I, I like him in everything that he appears in. I like James Marsden a lot. But besides that, whatever. But you know what? It's not a bad little movie. That That's Sonic. That Sonic is not a bad little film. It's charming. It's cute. J- uh, Jim, um, uh, Jim Carrey steals the movie. Like Jim Carrey absolutely steals that movie. Like I, when I heard he was going to be playing Dr. Robotnik, I thought, okay, well, that's an interesting fit and he'll bring some of it. But I didn't, I wasn't prepared for how good Jim Carrey would be in that. He was really good. And look, I'm not saying Sonic the Hedgehog was a great movie. I don't think it was, but it was far better than I thought it would be. And I was very charmed by it. And my wife liked it a lot. So we knew there was a part two coming and we knew from the post credits, you know, tales and all that kind of stuff. Well, now, Rob, an official announcement has been made. One not so surprising, one quite surprising. So this morning, guys, I wake up and I get in my email box, uh, email from the studio's PR department telling me a little bit later today, in just a few minutes, we're going to be announcing the new title for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And it is, drum roll, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. That's that's the name of it. So they kind of made a big deal out of it. I think they were being facetious and kind of having fun with it. So here's our official announcement of the title, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Okay, so not a big, not a big surprise that it's going to be called Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But here's the part that is surprising. It's coming out in April of 2022. That's that's just a hair over a year from now. They're going to be they're releasing this thing a little over a year from now. That's a pretty quick turnaround time. That's that's pretty impressive and a pretty quick turnaround time. Now there have been a lot of rumors floating around that maybe Jason Momoa will be one of the voices and all that. I, I whatever. I'm ignoring that stuff for now, but. The fact that this thing, they must have already done a lot of pre-production. And if they're going to have this thing up, ready to go and be in theaters to go through all the pre-production, production, production, post-production on something like this. By the way, the visual effects of the first Sonic movie were a little questionable at times. I mean, it was I mean, it was actually I'll go beyond that. It was pretty piss poor at times, the effects in the first Sonic, but still very charming, warm, funny, entertaining little film. And now they're going to have this next one out in April. Rob, you hear about this. So first of all, what were your thoughts on the first Sonic movie? And and what do you think about the title, which is pretty straightforward? And and what do you think about the fact that this thing's going to come out next April? What are your thoughts on this? Okay, first of all, you know, I, I resisted <laughs> seeing the Sonic movie for a long time. But I was curious. <laughs> so I dipped into it. And I have to say, for a movie called Sonic the Hedgehog, I kind of liked it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, hey, it's not War and Peace. It's not Apocalypse Now. It's not When Harry Met Sally, you know. But it is, as far as a Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, I, I uh, admittedly, I'm not familiar with the mythology of the game, John. But I, I, di- I thought the movie was fine. You know, the performances. Jim Carrey, obviously. I mean, the guy was committed. 
And, um, you know, well, what are you going to say? Uh, I liked it. But it doesn't surprise me that I would imagine, because I didn't catch up with it until after it was out of theaters, I would imagine this movie probably wound up doing huge numbers um, in the secondary market. And uh, I, I bet a lot of people saw it. And that was probably what gave them the impetus to to move forward so quickly with a sequel. Now, while I'm not going to lie, John, I'm, I'm really not going to be staying up, up at night waiting to see Sonic 2 the way I am for, <laughs> say, like, no time to die. But I think for those people who are fans of Sonic and who enjoy the, the, the movie and the game, uh, I think it's a good thing. You know, if the movie did well and it, it was a crowd pleaser, bring on another one. Why not? That's, you know, that's what you do. We got people in the live chat here coming up some uh, other alternative titles. Uh, Sonic 2, the 2 Hedgehog. Uh, Where's 2 Sonic, the 2 Hedgehog 2. So putting a, some alternate potential titles there, taking some inspiration from Fast and the Furious, I suppose. So you <laughs> what, got about some Son what about Sonic dropping a deuce? Just <laughs> Ah, uh, maybe that uh, we got two hedgehogs, two Sonic, two Furious. We got some good ones coming in the live chat there, guys. Well done. Anyway, the question here, guys, is what do you think about this again? April. I, I would have thought maybe late 2022, maybe early 2023. But this thing's apparently coming out in April. What do you guys think about this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. OK, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with the main topics. Whenever you come across a big story issue or topic that you think we should have as a main issue here on the John Campion Show, simply go on over anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. That down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Raza Hyder, who writes, Hey, John. After some spin-off series, a 1985 sequel, and Disney's 2013 prequel, Oz the Great and Powerful, it seems that we'll be getting a remake of the beloved 1939 classic, The Wizard of Oz. Deadline has reported that Watchmen director Nicole Cassell is set to reimagine the wonderful world of Oz for New Line and Warner Brothers. On a list of films that shouldn't be remade, uh, two, oh, The Wizard of Oz is very much on there. What do you think of a remake of the classic that has been cemented in Hollywood history for nearly 82 years? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, uh, Nicole Cassell, we were just talking yesterday, Rob, about the one of the writers of the Watchmen series mm. uh, getting picked up. And now the director of that series, Nicole Cassell, has been picked up to do this reimagining, if you will, this remake, if you will of Wizard of Oz. This is what comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, her, that's Nicole Cassell, 
Her selection follows an extensive director search by New Line and Warner Brothers to find a visionary filmmaker to reimagine the wonderful world of Oz. They liked what they saw in how Cassell acted as a meticulous world builder in overseeing every step of the Watchmen production, setting the show's striking visual tone with no detail overlooked and weaving visual cues from the panels of the comic into the series as delicate Easter eggs for fans. Cassell also demonstrated the ability to adapt challenging materials, breathing new life into DC's revered and notoriously difficult to adapt graphic novel. So that comes to us from the folks over there at Deadline. All right, let's let's address the first part of this before we get into the specifics. You know, one of the things Raza writes is this is a movie that should not be remade. There's there are numbers of films that shouldn't be remade. This is one of them. This is a film that shouldn't be touched, shouldn't be remade, all that kind of stuff. I, you know, you guys know basically my my basic philosophy of remakes. There's no reason not to do remakes. It's just that simple. If you do a remake and it's good, great. We have a new film that we like in our library. If it's bad, oh well, it's a bad movie just like any other bad movie. We'll forget about it and it doesn't affect the existing thing. And there have been wonderful, fantastic uh, remakes. Look, True Grit was, I I contend, some people disagree, I think True Grit with the dude was better than the original. The Departed by Marty Scorsese maybe wasn't better than the original Infernal Affairs, but it was good enough to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards and win Marty Scorsese his first Best Director Award. I contend that George Clooney and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon's Ocean's Eleven was better than the original Sinatra one. That's a remake. Dawn of the Dead, Rob. A lot of people like the remake of Dawn of the Dead. 310 to Yuma is is another great example of a Western that I thought was better than the original with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. Dread with Carl Urban, I contend, was better than the Stallone version. A Star is Born has been remade several times. Rob, it just got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, won a couple of Academy Awards. Pete's Dragon. You know, you think of this beloved Pete's Dragon. Guess what? They came out with another one. I thought it was great. And that's not even touching on all the classic remakes that we was talking. The Fly was better than the original. Scarface was better than the original. The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, was a remake. But Rob, what I often hear is when we're talking about remakes is people will say, well, then it'll ruin the original. It takes away from the original. Really? You remember, Rob, about five or six years ago, they did that Point Break remake? Remember that? Did they? Yeah. (laughs) Did they really? (laughs) They really? But here's the thing. You say Point Break, what do you think of? You think of of Keanu Reeves and you think, right? This this horrible, bad remake they did took nothing away from the original remake. Rob, when you think of Ben-Hur, do you think of that monstrosity that came out like four years ago? No. no. It, it, it didn't affect the, the all-time classic status and belovement of the original Ben-Hur. Rob, when you think of The Fog, do you think of that abysmal Tom Welling version of The Fog? No, that's not where your mind... Nobody thinks about that. It easily gets forgotten. What about Flatliners with Diego Luna? Do you not think 
of uh, of Kiefer Sutherland and uh, Oliver Platt and Julia. Total Recall, John. What do you think about when you think of Total Recall? See, Total Recall, you're immediately to Schwarzenegger's things, right? Here's the thing. I have never heard a legitimate argument, a legitimate argument about why a remake shouldn't be done about something. Because only good things can come out of it. Nothing bad. If it's a bad movie, then it's like any other bad movie. It fades away into obscurity. We forget about it. And I think this list of films, it proves it never takes away from the original. They uh, never take away. What do you, you got to you count into that? I, I have something that I object to about these these originals. I mean, What's these that? remakes. The remakes. These remakes diminish or take away, they, they take away the talent and the resources to make an original vision. And I understand that Hollywood is very risk averse. So recycling IPs seems like the smart move, the smart play. But as you so graphically just illustrated, 90% of the remakes that are made are a complete waste of time that don't make any money. They don't take any, they don't take the place of places of the original, but what they do do is prevent or they take away if one of those movies was an original film, it might have established a brand new IP that could have been something that would endure for another 20, 30, 40 years that they'll remake. And I do think that a lot of these remakes, especially the remakes of the last 10 years, I can think back because there's the trifecta for me of, of genre remakes. Philip Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, John Carpenter's The Thing, and David Cronenberg's The Fly. In my mind, those are three wonderful remakes that are all... What, what makes them great remakes? They're significantly different from the originals that they take the core concepts, rework them, and make them their own. Obviously, the Carpenter's The Thing goes back to the John W. Campbell short story, Who Goes There? Very different from the original. David Cronenberg's The Fly takes the central idea, makes it very, very different. And so those films stand on their own as legitimate uh, visionary works and the other, the other movies, the difference is these other movies are decided upon by a studio. They're corporate decisions. Like, we're going to make, we're going to remake Robocop and Total Recall or half of John Carpenter's oeuvre. And it, they're not, they're not approached by filmmakers that are like, I have an idea about how I want to remake. Like when um, Lee Wanell does The Invisible Man, it's a brand new take. It's a new modern take that does not besmirch the the old time original, but it, it 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 advances the idea of the Invisible Man because you have an auteur bringing a vision to it, and I think those remakes are great. Same with the the Departed, you know, Martin Scorsese has a, an interesting take. It's it's different, but it honors the original, and that's if you're going to have a remake, it should be it should be driven by a filmmaker, not some corporate decision to to make extra money by a studio. That never works. Yeah, but I think you just proved the point, though, right? Is that sometimes these remakes are filmmaker-driven. Like you mentioned, The Departed, 310 yeah. to Yuma. I think, again, if if I know a lot of you guys haven't seen 310 to Yuma with Christian Bale. But that was, no, that was a good... Yeah, I agree. That was a that was James Mangold, right? Right, Mangold did that. I, I, again, we, where would we be without the Ocean's Eleven films? I mean, so that was really driven by a new take. So it, it proves that a lot of these can. Now, my one objection to your objection about how they make other potentially original films not get made. More original film gets made today than in any other time in Hollywood history. Like we've, we've gone through and done the statistics before we've run through like an entire release schedule. I think it was like 2019 sure. and there was more original films made in 2019 than in any other time in Hollywood history and any time in global history. What is also true 
is that there were also more sequels and remakes done than any other time in history as well. But I think that that statistic just goes to show that it's like, it's not like sequels or remakes are preventing original film from getting made. There's more original film being made today than any time in history. So I just, I just don't see the down part, especially when you come to something like Wizard of Oz, right? When we get to Wizard of Oz, even I will admit, Rob, that as somebody who's like, go ahead, remake everything. F it. Remake Star Wars. Remake and go ahead. Remake anything. I'm cool. If it's good, excellent. If it's not, we'll forget about it. And I still got the original. But even I have to admit that there are certain films that you bring into the conversation that even I, who is F it, remake everything, will go, ooh, and make me pause a bit. The Godfather. Uh, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm cool if somebody wants to make The Godfather, but I got to admit, I get a little, a little, whoa, wait a minute, wait, remake Godfather? And Wizard of Oz is one of those. But as our, our person asking the question pointed out, it's already been done a lot. Now, here's the interesting thing about Wizard of Oz is that it is public domain. The book of uh, the, the Wonderful World of Oz is open in public domain. Mm-hmm. Anybody can make. Rob, you and I, if you and I want to make a Wizard of Oz movie, you and I can. It's totally open public domain. So anybody can make a Wizard of Oz movie they want. Here's the catch, though. And Rob, you and I have, just, have explained this to people before, is that Warner Brothers' original classic Wizard of Oz, which is in the Warner Brothers library right now, they introduced some things. Like, for instance the ruby red slippers, not in the book. The ruby red slippers are not a part of the original book of The Wonderful World of Oz. That's something that Warner Brothers added in their their classic uh, uh, Judy Garland version of it. So if you and I wanted to make a Wizard of Oz movie, we can do anything that's in the book, but we can't use the ruby red slippers because that belongs to Warner Brothers. You see what I'm saying? But here's the neat thing. So that's why when you go back and watch that James Franco Wizard of Oz movie that Sam Raimi did, by the way, I got a kick out of that movie. I kind of like it. It wasn't great, but I kind of liked it. But that wasn't done by Warner Brothers. They couldn't use ruby ruby red slippers. They couldn't use a number of things that were in there, but they could do everything else. The interesting thing here is that this is New Line, which is owned by Warner Brothers, which means everything that was in the original book they can do because it's public domain, and anything that was in the original movie can also be done because it's owned by Warner Brothers, which is kind of interesting. So I'm kind of of the mindset here that, like I do with most, I I, I admit that hearing Wizard of Oz remake, maybe my back gets up a little bit, but listen, if she makes a terrific movie, it doesn't have to be as good as the original. Just give us another good movie that we can sit down in an evening, pop on and enjoy and watch and just be taken away to a magical land. If she gives us another great one, fantastic. And if it's bad, then it's bad. Have you seen Return to Oz that Walter Murch directed during the mid 80s? I did. I Uh, did. I I was a fan of that movie. I mean, it's very different. It's very different. It's a very different approach, yeah. I thought, you know, Walter Murch, one of my heroes in terms of editorial and sound design and responsible for the editorial of things like uh, Cold Mountain and and Apocalypse Now, Um, he's an amazing guy, and and I thought he made a really legitimate film in that, and you could absolutely – see, if you have – to me, going back to a literary source is different than just a simple remake of of a movie. Like – 
for instance, uh, that's why John Carpenter's The Thing is good because they went back to the source and there's those books, the Frank Elbaum, the uh, books, the Oz books are so interesting and unique. You could mount an entire, you know, whether it's like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia and really, I think, do something really special with those books that wouldn't diminish the original uh, Wizard of Oz at all. And, and so I, I think it could be really cool. And when you look at the world of Oz, mm -hmm. there is so much you could do with that. I mean, it's such a, a magical, wonderful, incredible world. And I just think it's very, it, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to bring. And, and again, with Nicole, if she can bring some of that sensibility and that, that world building that she brought to Watchmen, if she can bring that into Wizard of Oz, it could be a win or it could be a complete unmitigated disaster. We'll have to wait and see. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Them trying to do a reimagining, if you will, of Wizard of Oz with the maker and the director of Watchmen. I, I think it's a, it's a good thing to try. May work, may not work, don't know. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Santez. And Santez writes, Hey, John and crew. I've been a big fan for a long time. Thank you so much, Santez. Uh, more talent is being added to the next Aaron Sorkin movie, Being the Ricardos, with J.K. Simmons joining the cast. After watching Trial of the Chicago 7, I am eagerly looking forward to what Sorkin does next. With Simmons joining the cast, does this increase your excitement? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Santez. And yeah, listen, Aaron Sorkin for a long time has been considered one of the best writers in all of entertainment, whether it's his television stuff, whether it's his movie stuff. He's just been considered like one of the go-to main guys. When you think of the great writers in Hollywood, Aaron Sorkin's one of the names that comes to mind. Recently, he's been expanding that repertoire into directing. Robbie started with Molly's Game, which I thought was a terrific movie. I, I thought that should have gotten more Oscar attention than it did but I, I thought molly's game was great he follows it up with trial of the chicago seven that to me ended up being my favorite movie of 2020 even though it was a netflix original technically rob it was still ended up being my favorite movie of 2020 and now he's got this i love lucy thing being the ricardo's coming and we've already known about the addition of javier bardem which is crazy good academy award winner we've already known about the addition of academy award winner nicole kidman gonna be playing lucy insane and now apparently we got jk simmons in there this comes to us from the hollywood reporter who writes in the show uh, Real-life married couple Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz played a married New York couple, Lucy and Ricky Ricardo, a housewife and band leader, respectively. Their best friends are another couple, Ethel and Fred Mertz, who frequently find themselves ensnared in Lucy's complex plans of joining her husband in show business. In Sorkin's drama, the story is set during one production week of I Love Lucy wherein Ball and Arnez face challenges on two fronts, one crisis that could end their career and another that could end their marriage. Simmons would play William Farley, uh, uh, Frawley, the actor who played Fred Mertz, who later went on to co-star in My Three Sons. Rob, right out of the gate, I'll tell you, I love, I've been very excited about this. I love Lucy is truly one of the greatest television programs ever made. And you know what's funny? It holds up. 
I when you go back now and watch like some of these old reruns of I Love Lucy, tell me you don't smile. Tell me you don't laugh. Oh, they just—they're timeless. You know what I mean? They're absolutely timeless. And so I love the idea of the show in general, or the idea of this movie in general. I love it. Aaron Sorkin is doing it. I love it. Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz, and uh, and Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball. Love it. And now you're adding as Fred <laughs> next door, J.K. Simmons. Dude, are you kidding me? This is incredible. I I am seriously my excitement level is approaching not quite there yet my my excitement level for this project is approaching godzilla versus kong levels i'm actually (laughs) so psyched to see this movie and it just keeps getting better and better the sounds of it rob you heard about this whole thing well first of all what do you think about the project as a whole and what do you think about the addition of jk simmons first of all i love this project as a whole i i think javier bardem and and uh, nicole kidman are going to kick it out of the stadium and I think that Aaron Sorkin doing it, I can only imagine the pitter-patter rapid-fire dialogue. It's going to be tremendous. The casting is is delightful. And I just want to point out that Lucille Ball is directly responsible for the existence, John, of Star Trek. So, Oh, I remember I, hearing about that. I would love it if, yeah, Desilu Studios, she loved Star Trek. If it wasn't for her behind-the-scenes uh, maneuvering, Star Trek wouldn't exist. And I do hope that Aaron Sorkin gives a nod to that because I would love it if in the movie she like walked on to a recreation of the bridge and they cast people as all the characters from the original series. <laughs> well, I don't remember, though, do they did say the whole movie is going to take place during a one week period uh, during a particular. So probably not going to see a lot of maybe but maybe a reference or something would be kind of cool. What do you think about the addition of J.K.? I, I, dude, I love him, love him. I, I, I mean, uh, you, how do you not love that guy? I, I watch his TV commercials on YouTube. You know the one, dun 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 dun. What is it? I don't even know the name of the company. <laughs> we, 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 we've seen some things. So you have seen some things, or whatever the hell he says. I love farmers that. insurance. We farmers are insurance. farmers. We are dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> yeah, love it. I even love those. I even love those. Question is, guys. What do you think about this? First, this I I know a Lucille Ball movie is not really everybody's cup of tea, but I am personally very excited about this. I think the addition of J. Jonah Jameson is fantastic. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Heath Walton, and Heath Walton writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Heath. Uh, With Zemo being a major player in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it got me thinking. Uh Uh-oh, that's always dangerous. Uh, He killed T'Challa's father, and T'Challa stopped him from killing himself. There's also a connection now between Bucky and Wakanda. They started filming the show a while ago. Is there any chance at all that we could see Chadwick Boseman appear, even for a brief cameo. Thanks, and may you live filthy and prosper. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Heath. And, you know, um, this is one of those situations where I can tell, I haven't been able to find it, 
but I can tell in some popular chat board or some other outlet must have written this theory because in one day I got a bunch of emails from people, Rob, asking me basically the same question. What do you think the chances are that Chadwick Boseman cameos in Falcon Winter Soldier? It's like these all just came out of nowhere. So somebody somewhere is talking about this anyway. So there's this theory going around that maybe we see Black Panther in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And it's actually not a ridiculous theory. It's not because there are pros to why you might believe that we could possibly see Chadwick Boseman pop up in a cameo in this movie. But there are also cons. And we're going to get to both of those right now. Let's talk about the pros for a second about this theory, about why we maybe could see Chadwick Boseman pop up in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Pro number one, the production started on Falcon and Winter Soldier almost a year before Chadwick Boseman died. 10 months. Production on Falcon and Winter Soldier started in October of 2019. That's weird when you think about it, but we've got to remember Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to come out a long time ago, but they went into production on Falcon and Winter Soldier in October of 2019. Of course, Chadwick Boseman didn't tragically pass away until August of 2020. There is a 10-month period there between when they started shooting this and when Chadwick Boseman passed away. So when you look at the timing of it, it is theoretically possible that Chadwick Boseman could have gone in there and, and done a cameo of some sorts for the series. It's possible. Also, as you mentioned in the email, narratively, a Black Panther T'Challa cameo makes sense because Black Panther has a very strong connection to Bucky. Bucky, when, when the world still wanted to arrest him, he had refuge in Wakanda. Of course, when everything was going down in Infinity War, Black Panther went and said, it's time to bring Bucky back into this fight, gave Bucky his brand new shiny metal arm. So there's clearly a connection between that. Also, from a narrative point of view, that makes it make sense, is, as you mentioned in the email, the connection that between Black Panther and Zemo. We know that Baron Zemo is kind of the antagonist of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And obviously, you know, the thing that got Black Panther involved in the first place was the murder of his father that he thought was Bucky. Turns out it was Zemo. Zemo murdered his father. Zemo's final scene, other than the one with Bilbo Baggins, at the end was sitting down with T'Challa on that mountainside, re recalling going over everything about why he did what he did and all that kind of stuff. So there's a connection there. So those last two points, there is a narrative here that makes it make sense for a Black Panther to show up. Also, from a Disney Plus point of view, is there a more significant cameo you could possibly have in Falcon and Winter Soldier? Maybe other than Captain America himself, is there another cameo that could have this sort of impact as a Black Panther would, even understanding that they were putting this together before Chadwick Boseman passed away? So from the fact that there was 10 months between when they started shooting this thing and when Boseman tragically passed away, Understanding that there is a real strong narrative reasons to have him pop up in there from his Black Panther's connection to Bucky, Black Panther's connection to Zemo, and from a Disney Plus point of view, I mean, there's really not many other more important cameos you could possibly have. So these are the pros uh, that I see and why, if you are one of these people wondering, is could we possibly see Black Panther? Uh, there's a, a list of uh, some pretty good reasons why you might think that. That being said, there is also some cons, okay? There's also some cons to why maybe you shouldn't believe that this is going to happen. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Number one, 
it's hard to believe that it wouldn't be publicized. Uh, Rob, when you look back at Ma Rainey's, one of the things that they really promoted about that movie was this was Chadwick Boseman's final performance. And and they they use that in their marketing. I don't think just to make extra money, but to also draw attention to honor the fact that this is Chadwick Boseman's final performance. And it's hard for me to believe that if Marvel was going to have Chadwick Boseman pop up, that they wouldn't want to make sure that they honored that as well, that they would say, actually, you know, this is Chadwick Boseman's final appearance in an MCU thing. Yes, it would take away from the surprise, but I think Marvel would be willing to give up that surprise to make sure they honored Chadwick Boseman in such a way to say, hey, this was Chadwick's final appearance in our MCU film. This is very special to us and blah, blah. I think they would have done that. I think the fact that we haven't heard anything about Chadwick Boseman appearing in Falcon and Winter Soldier is definitely a strike against the idea that he may be there. Also, uh, another point is this. While there was 10 months between when they started shooting Falcon and Winter Soldier and when he ultimately passed away, Boseman was just coming off of finishing shooting Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And when we look at that movie now in hindsight, he looks significantly smaller right like when we look at back at that movie now and we simply don't know what chadwick's condition was yeah he was still alive for another 10 months but we simply don't know what his condition was uh by the time he finished shooting ma rainey's black bottom um so and when you understand you go back and look at that now and he's clearly physically looking a lot different than he did previously i think that's a strike against the idea that maybe he pops up in here as well Uh, Last part here was the flip side of what was in the pros column. Most significant cameo the show could have. And I think this plays back into reason number one, being that it would be the most significant and the the pop would mean the importance of it, the, the specialness of it, that we had one more thing, one more thing with Chadwick Boseman that we were going to get to enjoy and celebrate. Again, it just leads me to believe it's something that would have been mentioned. So overall, I don't think you're crazy. If you think there is actually a chance, like a bunch of people out there are writing right now, I don't think you're crazy if you think there's a chance that Chadwick Boseman could appear. I think there are some very solid reasons why you should believe it or why you could believe it. However, I personally feel like the cons list outweighs the pros list. So, Rob, I look at the situation. I look at the pros and cons. For me personally, I really don't think there's much of a chance that we see Chadwick Boseman pop pop up in Falcon Winter Soldier. I I get why people would think that, so I don't think they're crazy that they do. I just think the cons outweigh the pros. Rob, you look at this situation. We understand how much he was still around for quite a while once they started filming the show. Uh, What do you think about the theory of of Chadwick Boseman popping up uh, for a cameo in Falcon Winter Soldier? Where are you on that right now? I think it's a bit iffy. Um, for me, let's, let's just assume for a moment that they actually did, he had time and he, in his busy schedule and actually shot a cameo. Um, if you had that in the wake of what's happened, presenting it in this show and, and publicizing it, I think might be in a bit of bad taste. Mm. Uh, I, I think, especially because. You know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I don't know if you've watched it. I thought it was a pretty so extraordinary. Good. So it's good. So you good. know, it's, a, it's an adaptation of a play. So 
it does it as a movie it feels a bit stage bound well because it is but his performance was just amazing and to know the battle that he was fighting while making that movie uh it's just it's heartbreaking to watch but that guy put everything that he had into that performance and i think that to to publicize something like that within falcon and winter soldier might be a little disrespectful however if they did shoot it and they did have a scene or maybe scenes with especially if it's with Zemo and he's in there and they don't tell anybody they let people discover it on their own i think it would very much honor his legacy and what he did because it's not they're promoting the show which is what they should do but to have that extra little a bit of him in there i think would be a tremendous honor and uh, for all the fans and for everybody that that movie meant so much to i think it would be a great send off um so it, i think they're not since they're not promoting it uh, i don't know i would assume they don't have him in there but if they did I think it would be a surprise, and it would certainly be a welcome surprise, and I don't think there's going to be a dry eye in the house. But um, I don't think that there is. But after watching WandaVision, I wouldn't put it past them. I, as a matter of fact, if Chad Bozeman came back from the afterlife to shoot one scene <laughs> for Falcon and Winter Soldier, that wouldn't surprise me either because who knows what they can do over there. But, um, uh, you know... I, I think it's it's if if he is in there, they've handled it correctly. I think. I mean, if he is in there, it it would. I mean, it it would be the, the internet would explode. I mean, it would be crazy. I I still I don't think he will. I mean, on top of all that, I think Kevin Feige has mentioned already that his last thing was doing the voice for the What If animated thing, right? Marvel thing. But I mean, maybe they're keeping it under wraps. I, but I'm gonna—if I, I had to put five bucks on, I'm betting he but, does not make an appearance. But he could say Kevin Feige wasn't wrong because what if comes out after Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I mean, true, true. But he didn't actually have to appear on camera. All he had to do is record right. audio, right? So I—I I don't know. I—I'm gonna give it a literally. I'm gonna give it a one percent chance that yeah. he shows up in Falcon and Winter Soldier. What? What? Where would you put that line? Uh, about that about that so <laughs> you know, very five, unlikely five or five percent or under you know i mean it, it is such wishful thinking and it, it look it would be tremendous and but again i could see it happen if it was any other film company i'd say no but it is after all i mean red skull was in infinity war i know it wasn't hugo weaving's voice but i'm like i i mean i remember sitting next to john schnapp watching infinity war and when when red skull showed up we were jumping out of our seats like little kids <laughs> it was just you know so you just never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. Question is for you guys. What do you think? You've probably seen this this rumor going around. Do you think there is actually, when you look at my pros and cons list, maybe you have your own pros and cons list. What do you think the chances are that Chadwick Boseman makes an appearance in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? I, again, I think there are some solid reasons why you could believe it. I personally myself don't. But what do you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's now spend the rest of the show today taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, simply go to the tip link that's in the description of this video. Uh, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Uh, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show 
if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And again, all of us here, thank you very much, guys, for your support. Okay, let's go on over and start getting to it now. We're going to get things picked up here with uh, Tim Amaro, who writes, here's a WandaVision theory. Happy uh, 31 hours. Or no, what is it? What are we at now? 35 hours? Oh, whatever. It's cutting down. <laughs> the countdown continues, guys, to the next episode of WandaVision. Here's a WandaVision theory. Wanda took a few pieces of Wanda's body or Vision's body to create her children. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That may explain where they came from and why they seemingly have powers. Thanks for all you do. It's not, I mean, look, whatever. when she's warping reality in there, she makes things from other things. Um, which led Rob to that one really dark theory I had. It's like Wanda's kids came from somewhere. Vision notices there's no other kids in Westview. <laughs> Did she make her kids out of the other kids? I know that's super dark, but that's that's not a bad idea either. About like my theory is that she she took all the scrap from from Vision and created this new version of Vision that's not the real Vision, but a new version of Vision. Maybe she used some of the things to create her children. I mean, I don't know. Clearly, they're not regular, normal biological phenomena because I don't think, you know, Vision's got the old robo sperm going. I don't I don't think that's happening. And there was clearly not a normal, normal pregnancy. But I, I don't know the theory that she created her children out of the uh, some of the parts from Vision, which which I guess would make Vision truly their father in many ways. I don't know. What do you think about that theory? I yeah, <laughs> maybe perhaps, but I, I don't, I, I think a lot of the theories that we have or that I'm reading are, are a little bit more outlandish than what the truth is going to prove to be. Mm. But, but then again, uh, I keep thinking that we're watching a show about one of the Avengers trapped in sitcoms that keep changing from decade to decade which is one of the wackiest, most outlandish premises I think I've ever heard of for any TV show, much less a Marvel Cinematic Universe show. So nothing, I guess, is too outlandish. Um, you know, you've got Wanda's been in bed with Vision on the show, and Vision's a dead synthesoid. Uh, wow, John. <laughs> I... I, I <laughs> So I, I really think that, hey, if you want to believe in this theory or any theory or I'm, I, who am I to say no? All right, let's move on. Next one. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, who's the popsicle? I love that line. Uh, seems odd for someone from the 80s to say. Sounds more like slang from the 1950s. But what if Pietro perceives vision as a corpse? Uh, thinking this guy should be on ice in a morgue. Hence, who's the popsicle? Um, no, I don't think so. Because remember, Vision's a synthesoid. He's a, he's a robot. So I, I, I don't, it's, it's not something that connects with me. And, and it is totally something that would have been said by one of those characters in the fifties. Hell, I think that's probably something that would be used today with some people. Hmm. So I, I personally, I mean, you might be onto something anonymous, but I personally don't see it, uh, see it that way. All right, next up. Alan writes, hey, John, in recent Falcon Winter Soldier trailer, you see multiple occasions walking through uh, Mad Madripoor and when Bucky uh, Spartan kicks someone that Sam and Bucky appear to be working with Zemo. Uh, what do you think could make them work with Zemo? Well, uh, and by the way, Leandro uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Leandro. Um, I mean, look, Rob, you don't have to look much further than Hobbs and Shaw. 
or, or, or one of the the uh, the Fast and the Furious before that, where it's like, oh, we've got a threat so bad, we're actually going to have to work with one of our former villains. That's that's not new. That wouldn't be new. Right. No, I admit I did not perceive, I didn't pick up on the idea that they were working with Zemo, but it wouldn't be the first time that a movie or television series sets up the scenario where the good guy has to work with the bad guy to accomplish something greater. So I, I don't know. What do you think about the theory? Uh, could be. I, I, again, I I think that you know uh, rivals teaming up to to accomplish a goal is a time worn, time honored storytelling trope. So I could see that happening. But judging from the dialogue, you get snippets of the trailer. I still want to destroy all the superheroes or whatever is said that, I mean, maybe it could happen. Maybe they have a common enemy, but I thought Zemo never got his due in the movie. I, I thought basically he won, you know, he was, he, he eventually at the end, he got taken down, but he certainly caused a lot of havoc within our, the ranks of our heroes, which I liked. I thought that was great. And to see that continue, especially in the post blip world, um, I think it could be really fascinating, but I don't know if they're going to team up. Maybe they will. I mean, it could be because remember, like U.S. agent is right. is kind of set up to be like the villain. I mean, Zemo. But by the way, I, I while I love Captain America Civil War, I thought Zemo was a useless character because if you actually sit down and look at the narrative, they were going to end up at that spot regardless if Zemo did any of the stuff that he did. I mean, I think like the Sokovia Accords were coming one way or the other, blah, blah, blah. But, but you're right. I don't think he got his due. But so I, I don't know that they work together. But again, if they do, it's not the first time we've seen something like that in a movie or TV show. So, I mean, hey, and anything with, that gives us more Daniel Brühl screen time, that dude's a phenomenal actor. Then I'm all for it. So let's see where they go with that. All right, next up. Mr. Hobbitino writes, I think somebody is influencing Wanda to use her powers on a subconscious level. A town with no children keeps chanting for the children and Wanda becomes pregnant. Keep being asked about her brother and a brother shows up. Agnes, uh, just as she needs. I mean, again, I am at the place right now that I still believe Wanda is very much to a degree in control but I no longer think she's the only one in, in control. I think there is mm. another influence. I think you're absolutely right about that. There is another influence. Wanda is clearly making some bad decisions on her own, though, that she doesn't get to make excuses for. Uh, but aside from that, I think you're right. At this point, there's another force there, whether that's Mephisto. Some people, Rob, think it's Galactus, which I think is a little <laughs> far out there. But I've, I've seen that theory around a lot, that it's Galactus. Some uh, people... Yeah, no. Some some people think Dormammu, you know, Dormammu's back and he's doing this. I'll go that doesn't it's not his standard operating procedure when you look back at Doctor Strange. This is that's not how Dormammu works. Maybe it's Mordo. Maybe it's I mean, maybe who knows? I don't know. And some people like that other theory that came up the other day, Rob, that maybe it's the Mind Stone itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe the essence of the Mind Stone is See, doing I, it. I somebody said that on our show. You read yeah. something that uh, now I I like this this the most because if you think about it if there's an entity like a a person even if it's Mephisto by doing this it's not like this was done in a clandestine manner whatever this is the most ostentatious attention grabbing uh, shenanigans that you could possibly mount in the Marvel universe and you're doing it with an Avenger 
So <laughs> it's not like you're not going to bring the wrath of every organization, whether it's Sword, whether it's Shield, and the Avengers, on top of you. So who's ever doing this is not. If it's a if it's an entity like a even if it's Mephisto, uh, there will be hell to pay. What did they think they were going to get away with? But the Mind Stone, the Mind Stone wouldn't have thought that through. The Mind Stone is a universal force. And the Mind Stone's like going, the Mind Stone's manifesting what's in someone's mind. It's not thinking the practical day-to-day -day operations of what it's doing. I mean, the, the Mind Stone's not going, wow, I don't really understand this whole, this whole sitcom universe, but it's what's in her mind, so that's what's being manifested, as opposed to an entity that's like, yep, we're going to set up this hex in the middle of America and right in the middle of New Jersey and steal people and steal an Avenger and broadcast signals out. It's not thinking that way. So to me, it it it, it makes more sense that it's something like the Mind Stone that doesn't necessarily have a thought behind it. It's manifesting emotion and it's manifesting grief without a true practical understanding of what that means. So Whereas an, a, an actor, I mean, a bad actor like a Mephisto or even Dormammu or something wouldn't do, I don't think would do this, mm. you know, Dormammu or Mephisto's not going, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to set up a thing uh, in New Jersey and it's, we're going to make it look like all the sitcoms from the fifties to the two thousands <laughs> and I'm going to stick Wanda in there. I just don't think Mephisto would do that. I think there's other ways that Mephisto would work that make more sense. Whereas the Mind Stone isn't thinking in those kind of terms. It's just manifesting the thought in her mind, in her grief-addled mind. Right. Yep. And and again, I kind of uh, like it gets to that point where the doorbell rings. She goes, "I didn't do that." But and right. earlier in the episode, when it's asked, "Do you have a brother?" She speaks in the present tense. She says, "I do." She doesn't say, "I did." Like she was talking in past tense with Monica. So it's 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 interesting. I think we're going to find out a lot in 30-something hours, Rob. I think we're going to find out a lot in 30-something hours. <laughs> well, you All should right. put up a live countdown during the we show. We should totally have Counting a live down. countdown clock to the next. That's right. I'm going to work on that. All right. <laughs> uh, by the way, Captain Kirk 1978 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Captain Kirk. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, Blue Jay writes, I wasn't sure in the beginning, but I'm more certain it's actually Peter from the X-Men films uh, just because uh, something breached the barrier and then he appears at Wanda's door. Again, I, I think it's deeper than that. I don't think it is. Now, there are two prominent theories here. One prominent theory out there is that the what we're seeing as Peter from the X-Men universe is actually Mephisto. The other prominent theory is it's actually the Peter from the X-Men films. I'm in the minority that I don't think it's either of those. I don't think hmm. either of those make a lot of sense to me. But again, I'm saying that after watching five episodes, I don't know that I'm going to be saying the same thing after I watch six episodes. So we'll, we'll find out blue Jay. We'll find out All right next up. Mr. Harbertino writes one of two uh, theory while trying to remove the mind stone from vision. Shuri already, uh, already another power source in mind to replace it. But because of the way it was violently removed, part of Vision's mind was damaged. They need uh, the brain pattern from somebody else. Enter Simone Williams. Well, here's, here's the problem with that. I've heard, Rob, a lot of people proposing a lot of different things going all the way back to Infinity War as Shuri was trying to take out the Mind Stone, right? Everything in that movie... Everything in that sequence, the implication was clear. There was no getting 90% done. 
When you watch the movie, it's clear what Shuri is saying. This has to be completed or it's zero. It's either 100% done or it's 0% done. That's why when things were starting to go bad, she couldn't say, okay, well, just good enough with the transfer we have with thing. I'll get back to this later. No, she tried to stick in there to finish it because it had to be done and it wasn't. So it, there could be something to do that goes all the way back to the to the Shuri situation, but I actually don't think it is. I thought the Shuri attempt was a complete bust and it simply didn't work and it's out of the it's it's off the table. I think I don't know, but I think Rob, what do you think about the whole Shuri part? Um, I I too think it's off the table. I mean, I I I think that with what they're going to do with Black Panther two, obviously Shuri is a very important character. And one of the more important characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think they're going to use her. They're going to save her. They're, they have to use her in a, in a capacity where she's not diminished in any way because she's become one of the most important people in Wakanda on many different levels. So I think – I don't know, man. I, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's again, well, I think we'll have a better under, I think we'll have more of a solidified theory after we see episode six. I think yeah, a lot I mean, of questions are going to get answered. Yeah, I, yes, yes, yes. All right. I, I just don't see her crossing over outside of whether the, it's the Wakanda TV show or or the, or the Black Panther 2. Yeah, and you got to remember too, Shuri has literally herself only been back for three weeks. Remember, she's she was gone. She was snapped right. out of existence. She was gone. So, all right, yeah. let's move on now. Uh, Frederico Black writes, Hey, John and Rob, who do you think was the closest to really beat Thanos? Wanda, Captain Marvel, or Thor in Infinity War? And second, who will be the leader of the Avengers whenever they assemble again? No idea, because we don't even know who's going to be around whenever the Avengers assemble again. Um, the answer, the answer, honestly, the question of who got closest, Wanda, Captain Marvel, or Thor, it's 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 Thor. There's there's no debate. There's no question. It's Thor. Thor did beat Thanos. Thanos had to get the hell out of Dodge once Thor was going at him. He had to escape Thor. And Thor was literally six inches away from ending the story with Infinity War if he had only gone for the head. I mean, so theoretically speaking, he he did beat Thanos. You know, that fight ended with Thanos on his knees, beaten, defeated, the, you know, Stormbreaker embedded in his chest. And then in a moment of distraction, opened up the portal, disappeared and got away. So whereas Captain Marvel did get real close to beating Thanos, she totally believes she can beat Thanos. Like when she goes, where are you going? I'm going to go kill Thanos. Like she's totally 100% confident she can kill Thanos. Wanda clearly came really close to beating Thanos. But Thor did beat Thanos. So that answers that. To me, that answers that question. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about the answer to that? Who got closest, Marvel, Wanda, or Thor? You know what? I think, look, I think I think Captain Marvel and Wanda could both have taken out Thanos using their powers. But I think what I love about what Thor did, and eventually even taking off his head, was both Wanda and Captain Marvel seemed I just like the fact that when you fight Thanos I like the idea that it's hand to hand you're not yeah. using it's it's the it's the it's the physical power that they contain whereas Wanda would use a spell which is fine and and Captain Marvel would use her her enormous 
cosmic powers or whatever. But Thor, it's a fight, man. I want to see Thanos swinging some blades and Thor swinging Stormbreaker and fighting. Because both Wanda and, and Captain Marvel could stand on a rock, you know, a football field away from Thanos and defeat him, really. But <laughs> Thor's going to get in there and mix it up. So while both Wanda and Captain Marvel could take Thanos out, I think a real victory has to be over Thanos has to be one of brute strength. You know, it's, it's interesting. Though, when you look back at Infinity War, when Thor beat Thanos, this is the part that made me made me gasp because Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet and he delivers a long range power blast of the Infinity Gauntlet at Thor. Thor throws Stormbreaker that cuts through the Infinity Gauntlet's blast like butter. Yep. Okay, from a distance and boom, defeats Thanos. Beats Thanos, drops him to his knees. It's a TKO. He's out, but he should have <laughs> gone for the head. He should have so, gone. That's why to me in the question of who came closest to beating him, the one that did beat him, Thor. Thor beat yeah. him. Uh, yeah. Didn't beat him the way he should have. <laughs> he should have gone for the head. But I mean, that's uh, that's the way I look at it anyway. Thanks a lot for that, Federico. All right, next up, Isaiah Cam writes, Hey, John, hopefully you read this outlandish theory I made for myself before episode six of WandaVision. Here we are. What if Red Skull is behind what's going on? Hear me out. Uh, what if he gains some uh, comic abilities? You, pro I'm going to guess you mean cosmic. <laughs> Hello, folks. <laughs> what's the deal with airports <laughs> what's the deal with thanos uh, uh. red skull develops some comic abilities there we go okay so red cop uh, what if red skull gains some cosmic abilities from being uh, around the space and soul stone he is free now well listen here's here's the problem here's the problem there is no narrative connection between Wanda and Red Skull. If we were talking about a Captain America movie or a Captain America show, there's a narrative connection there that makes that somewhat plausible. Yeah. Clearly, Rob, when we see Red Skull and he's like floating there, ooh, I'm a Dementor. <laughs> Red Skull became a Dementor. It's like, so clearly, that's not something Red Skull could do before. He's clearly been transformed in some way, but there's no narrative connection there. So it would seem very out of place to me. Um, it's like if I was watching Breaking Bad and it's like somebody, and we're getting ready to the finale and somebody writes in, Hey, John, like, what if Darth Vader shows up and, and stops Walter at the end? It's like, there, there's no connection there. So I don't know. I, I find it unlikely. Rob, you often point out with the crazy stuff they're doing, anything's on the table. But I, I find the idea of it being Red Skull unlikely. What do you think? Uh, I, I find it extremely unlikely. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Can you imagine? This is my plan. <laughs> Yeah, it, it just doesn't seem to connect. I, I mean, of all the of all the statisticians that could exist, of all the people that would be doing something like this, I think the Red Skull. This would be the last way. The the la I mean, he. What, how would even? How would the Red Skull even know what's going on? You know, I. It's just a weird. No, seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Seems all right, unlikely. let's move on here. James Welsh has got one of five. Here we go. 
After the stones were destroyed, what's to say their power essence transferred? Uh, what's to say their power's essence transferred to Wanda? The stone's power can only be held by superpowered beings, which Wanda is. And since the stones are sentient, uh, they knew she could wield them. Uh, she's using the space stone power to create the force field around the town, the mind stone power to control the town, the reality stone to create the world within Westview, the time stone to travel between different time periods of sitcoms. The power stone uh, would explain why she seems so much stronger because it's boosted them. Soul stone she used to bring back vision, although vision wasn't a I did vision have a soul. I'm not sure that Vision had a soul. Anyway, we go back to that Star Trek episode. Uh, the soul stone power can only be used by somebody who sacrificed a loved one. She sacrificed Vision to stop Thanos. Uh, when when she brought back Vision's soul from the dead, that was noticed by Mephisto, and he became aware of what happens to her uh, and the power she wields. He's manipulating her for his own gain or wanting the power for himself. In the end, Wanda completely loses uh, loses of, of her mind and the stones completely corrupt her body. The stones powers mess up reality, creating the multiverse, bringing in Spider-Man and Dr. Strange to stop her. All right. That's a lot there, James, but let's, let's go over it here. One, I let's start with this one off the top of my head. The, the sacrifice. She never sacrificed vision to get the soul stone. It's not that the soul stone is just going to go to anybody who makes a sacrifice. Like Thanos had to sacrifice Gamora for specifically the soul stone. Uh, Black Widow, I'm sure, has made sacrifices in her life before, but she had to sacrifice or, uh, or, or Barton had to. Uh, has he sacrificed things before? But he had to sacrifice Widow to the stone. Like it's not just at some point you had to make a sacrifice. You had to sacrifice to the stone. So I, I think that's kind of taken out of the equation there. The big thing, though, is like I'm kind of buying into this essence of the Mind Stone being a part of it. The thing about the whole rest of it is this. I still think there's going to be more thematic similarities with House of M. I don't think we're done with the thematic similarities of House of M. Now, not the specifics, but making the whole principle of this, it's just all the Infinity Stones again, is such a departure from the themes of house of m which a lot of this is clearly based on and again it's just becoming an over-reliance on just it's all the infinity stones again so i i don't know the good thing uh james about the theory you're presenting is is it does connect a lot of dots and that's the sign of a good theory but you know even you can have 10 really good theories that aren't necessarily what they're doing so i don't know if we're talking about all of them and i think within the world like for instance rob in the sitcom, she's not actually time traveling in the sitcoms. She's just making it appear that way. She's making it appear because guess what? If she time traveled to the 50s, I don't know if you know this, Rob. Now, I'm, I'm not a, 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 an astrophysicist and quantum engineer, but in the 50s, everything was in color. I don't know if you know that. The world wasn't actually black and white in the 50s. Uh, there was actual color in the 50s. So I don't think she's actually legitimately time traveling to the 50s or anything like that. No. So I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But listen, I'll tell you what, James, if we start watching episode six and they start dropping hints about all the Infinity Stones being in play, 
I will remember you writing this. Like, I'm not buying into it right now, but if it turns out it is, you will go down in infamy, my friend. Remember, I don't know, Rob, what do you think about uh, James's overall theory? here? <laughs> well, I, it's pretty outlandish. I don't see to me that, like you said, going back to the actual 1950s, she's going back to a very specific representation. The one thing about the sitcoms of that era was they did show a simpler time, a time of domestic bliss or a time when when there was very where good what what was good and what was right was very cut and dried. And I think thematically, that's what Wanda's mind wants. You know, she thinks back to growing up in Sokovia. She watched American sitcoms and that was her happy place, you know, in her mind as a little girl. And and I think that someone's tapped into that and is utilizing that because they've that's why I believe in this mindstone theory, because the mindstone gazed into her. And it, it's much simpler than, say, going back in time or being displaced because she's not that's not what it is. It's it's a memory of something that makes her happy. And the memory happens to be childhood memories of her watching a sitcom. So it's not it has nothing to do with the time in which that she exists in. It's about the 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 memories of the things that put a smile on her face. I mean, if she liked going to the country fair and eating cotton candy, we'd probably be stuck in a country fair, but they didn't have those in Sokovia. What they had was American television because it was Sokovia. Uh, by the way, I should throw, I should point this out because it went over some people's heads. Some people are yelling at me in the chat board saying, John, in a color intel. I'm not saying what I'm saying is real life in the 1950s. If you were alive in the 1950s, real life is in color. Uh, that that's that's what I'm saying. So a bunch of people misunderstood what I was saying there. Anyway, Color TV didn't exist then. Yeah, I, I wasn't talking about what was in TV. I'm talking about in real life, everything was in color. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Call Obsidian writes in. Hey, John, first time tipper, although I've been watching your show for two years now. Thank you so much, Call, for being around and being a part of our show, dude. Um, my theory is that Agnes is a witch who, because of her powers, is more aware of the changed reality than the other residents in Westview, similar to Cisco in Flash season two. Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, so so here's what's interesting about that is that I've been saying I don't I mean, there's clearly something different about Agnes. She is not your typical Westview resident. What that is, I'm not sure. A lot of people think she's Agatha Harkness. But or she thinks she's like behind it all. I don't think she's behind any of this because like she is literally afraid of Wanda. She's she's in fear of Wanda. And I keep going back to this. That one scene in the episode when Herb and her are talking and Herb's about to tell Vision what's going on. Agatha or Agnes looks at him, not with Rob, not with a you better shut your mouth. Look, she looked at him in terror in absolute fear like she is afraid of wanda i i and and even in the way rob in the latest episode when she does you know should we take this from the top like you could tell she was like i do do you want to take it from the top like she's afraid i still think there's something very different about her maybe there maybe she is uh an enhanced being maybe she's a witch maybe she's a superpowered being and maybe that's what's unique about her don't know but we will find out soon call all right next up uh we got charlie upton who writes 
Every time Agnes mentions Ralph, it reminds me of Norm from Cheers mentioning his wife, Vera, uh, which we never got to see her. We never got to see her face. Ralph as Mephisto is a misdirect. Also, Peter's Pietro is another misdirect. Strictly fan service to keep us speculating. I agree. Uh, by the way, Rob, there's another great one. We were just talking about Frasier the other day, right? Niles and Maris. Like for eight or nine seasons of <laughs> Frasier, we heard about, we always heard about Maris, never saw his face. So I don't know. I, I do think Ralph is something though. Yep. I think Ralph is something, whether he's Mephisto or Dormammu or whatever. I, I, I don't know. I doubt, but I do think he's something. What, what's your, where are you at right now on what is this never seen before husband of Agnes Ralph? <laughs> Well, the detail in this show, the level of detail, even to the point where they use different takes of lines of dialogue to recap the episode, um, which people pointed out in these chats that I was doing, yes, which is very astute. Yes. So, so um, this 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 is a, a mystery that they've been positing in every episode. So, this idea of of who or what Ralph is is probably a a big, big, big reveal that I would assume is going to tell us a lot. And I I don't know who Ralph is at this point. Maybe Ralph isn't a person, but Ralph might be a thing. You know, you never know. I, I, I But I think whatever it is, it is a big key to the mystery. Although you have to, Catherine Hahn's always really happy. She makes, she disparages Ralph, but with love. So I'll be, I, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. I don't have a theory about who Ralph is, but it's a, whatever it is, it's a big deal. And I think <laughs> it, it, it goes far. I mean, what we've seen in the trailers, uh, Catherine Hahn might be controlled as well. She might be the person who's like you said, most in fear or has the most to lose because she's been pushed to be the forefront of this by something. And maybe she hasn't wanted to be there, but she's been playing a part the whole time. Because as we saw last episode, when she says, do you want me to go back to one? Do you want me to take that back? Like, she's very eager to like, uh, did I mess up? Uh, I'll go back and fix it right now. Because she knows Wanda can just blink and reality will be reset. Right. So it's the whole thing is terrifying. All right. Next up, we got uh, Big Brain who writes, I don't know if anyone else has brought this up, but in this, uh, the last episode of Vision asks Wanda, why there isn't any children in Westview, but from the trailers, we see there is a Halloween episode with children walking around the streets. It's about to get weird. Yeah, which is two big mysteries. Number one, where are the children? Why have we not seen any children? What's the deal with that? Did Wanda cannibalize them to turn them into her children? That might be a little bit too dark. Did uh, did she whisk them out of Westview to spare them from what she was about to do to all the adults? Maybe. Big mystery number two, then. What is it that brings the children in? Is it Wanda just going, okay, Vision has a problem with no children. I'll make it so there's children. Is it another thing like the external force? Like she goes, she thinks about, I have a brother. Boom, her brother shows up. You know, is, is it one of those? So two big, Rob, two big mysteries here. Where have the children been? And by the way, Barbarella Haymaker sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Barbarella. Um, what? Where have? Where? Why are there no children there? And why are they suddenly there when we get to this Halloween episode, which I'm guessing might be is probably going to be this next episode? What are your thoughts on that right now? Well, if you're going to have Halloween, you need kids. Yep. So maybe Wanda blinked her eyes and populated the town with kids. You know. Um, 
it's going to be interesting to find out. I mean, clearly, clearly the question about children has been brought up many times in this show for the children. You know, they've talked about that a lot. And um, uh, uh, clearly a part of what's going on here is somebody either wants Wanda's kids, has set this up so Wanda will have those kids. There's something going on. I mean, even that, John. It's so wacky and strange that she used her powers to conjure up children that, lest we forget, she actually gave birth to. Like, they came out of her. She's one wacky sorceress, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, next up. Willa writes, I'm a bit unclear on what underrated means. For example, when you say the King's Speech is a bit underrated, do you mean it hasn't received as much critical acclaim as it should, or it hasn't received enough, enough love from the general public, or something else. You know, I think there's, I, I don't think there's any one true definition in film terms about what does underrated mean. I think there are two different things, Rob. I think there is underrated, and then I think there's underappreciated. And they're they're similar, but they're different. To me, when I say something is underrated, I think that you're making a statement that, hey, there's a movie here that most people don't think is all is anything special. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it is underrated. Underappreciated. Say something more like, I don't know, uh, what was a, a great movie? The, maybe Moonlight, right? That very few people saw. It was underappreciated. Very few people saw it. But the people who did see it loved it. It won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. You can't say it's underrated because the yeah. people who saw it loved it and it won Best Picture. It's not underrated, but maybe underappreciated because not a lot of people have seen it. I think King's I think the more accurate thing for me to say is that King's speech is underappreciated. It it won best picture at the Academy Awards. It is probably Rob you and I did uh with uh with Cody, we did a, a best movie worst movie episode dedicated to the best and worst of the best picture winners and like mine was like was King's speech. So I think it's probably where I can be. Yeah, when I think of underrated, I think of a film that generally speaking most people don't have an appreciation for, and they should. Uh, and that to me is underrated. Whereas underappreciated is, is really more that nobody went to go see it. It didn't get the attention it, it should have got. Like everybody who saw it loved it, but I don't know. Rob, when you think about it, how do those, what does the term underrated mean to you? Well, I think something that's underrated is actually quite good. You know, it's something that's very, that's actually really, really great, but for whatever reason, its greatness isn't recognized because it's not something that people either watch or gravitate to. It, it seems perhaps maybe off-putting at first glance. And so it's dismissed. You know, it's, 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 it's dismissed without, w without getting its due. And something that's underappreciated, like I say, the, like the King's Speech and Moonlight, they got all the accolades, but, but people look at the King's Speech as a lesser... They're like, well, this movie is just about a guy who stutters, even though it won Best Picture. So how good can it be? Because they haven't actually sat down to watch it. And when they watch it, they're like, oh, this is really, really good. But it was always really good. It's just people didn't recognize that. Where something that's underrated, it's dismissed out of hand. Or, or people do talk about it, and they're like, yeah, it's not that good. And for whatever reason, that 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 something that's underrated is a movie that was seen, but isn't given its due. And things that are underappreciated are things that people have written off and haven't seen enough of, mm. or 
you know, I think that to, it, in my mind, that's kind of the way I see it. It's it's such a loosely defined thing, kind of like spoiler, right? Like you say spoiler, spoiler to one person means something completely different to another person. Yeah. And that's why it's so difficult to have to really know when is something spoilers and when it's not because people don't even have the same uh, interpretation of it. I'll give you my favorite example of something that's underrated is Star Trek, the motion picture. A that's lot a great of example because a lot of people, I don't I don't even like the movie. And that's a that's fertile ground for why you would say it's underappreciated. Yeah, I think it's under uh, under, uh, under, it's under underrated underrated underrated. People, yeah, everyone's seen it, but everyone's like they they just they dismiss it. That's the slow motion picture, you know. And <laughs> and I think that they're they're wrong. But it's not that it's underappreciated because a lot of people saw Star Trek the motion picture. They just people just write it off, and then it becomes yeah. part of the pop culture zeitgeist. So oh, that's not the good one, or it's the, the oh, bad the one. Numbered, yeah, and I, I hate that. I. Oh. All right, let's move on here. Carlos writes, hey, John, with Doc Ock and Electro confirmed for Spider-Man 3, do you think Feige is setting up the Sinister Six? I know he is going to tie into the multiverse, but I'm guessing this is going to be huge. Also, your thoughts on the possible synopsis. Well, I, I don't think there's a legitimate synopsis out there right now. Um, I don't know. You See, you always got to remember when you're talking about anything Spider-Man, it is the one thing that Kevin Feige does not just have total control over. This is something that he has to get cleared with and work in conjunction with Sony. And listen, Rob, I know it's the big popular thing for everybody to say, no, Kevin Feige is, but no, I'm sorry. He's just factually not. This is one of those situations where Sony has to give right off and has to approve of everything that happens regarding the Spider-Man character and everything. It is the one thing where he has to really does. He has to work in conjunction with Sony uh, they give some of the direction to it. I mean, at the end of the day, they do let, hey, they say, Feige, you're a creative genius. We let you do it, but everything still has to go through them. And he's he's affirmed that before. So are they trying to set up the Sinister Six again? I doubt it. I, I, again, now, I don't know, though. Let's, let's be very clear. I don't know. My guess as a fan is that I believe the Jamie Foxx, the Molina, um, all this other stuff. These are going to be relatively small things that happen. I, I don't think this is going to be the villain of Spider-Man three is Jamie Foxx's Electro. I, I don't think that's the case might be, but I don't think it is. And I know Sony is still there. Their ass Sony's ass is still real sore from the beating. It got over their previous attempt to get a sinister six up and going. And I don't know if Sony is all that keen on trying to set up Sinister Six again. So, but, but again, I'm saying, I don't know. I don't know. That's just kind of my thoughts right now. But those, so I don't know. I don't think they're setting up Sinister Six. That's my guess right now at any rate. Rob, what do you think? You think they're trying to set up Sinister Six? No, I be, but you know, I think, look, I think Feige obviously is in consultation with what they're doing over at Marvel because, they're 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 slowly moving toward having this Spider Verse and the MCU sort of one and the same, but the sinister stick, the sinister sinister six, is again like you pointed out something that Sony would control, um, you know unless they finally just seed. I, I mean Sony, if, if Sony, <laughs> I don't think Sony would actually have a problem having Kevin Feige in a backdoor way control their Spider-Man movies <laughs> because he would only make them probably better. And, and yet they were going to set up a sinister six movie. They're putting all these pieces out there to, I think 
They might not even know exactly how they're going to utilize them, but they're bolstering up the entire Spider-Verse so they can be utilized by either side. I think both it, it behooves Sony and it behooves Marvel to make sure that whatever they're doing on the Sony side is good enough that it can be caressed into the Marvel Universe if need be. Mm. But I still think it's overseen by Sony. Yeah. Now, I think they're putting they're putting the pl- the pieces in place for a Sinister Six if they want to do that, depending on what story they come up with. But I don't necessarily think that Marvel is doing it intentionally. And there's still I'm I'm and I'm still going to throw out an an, un, an unpopular point of view. I'm going to say the unpopular thing here because I I see a bunch of people in the live chat are writing in Kevin Feige should totally be in control of Spider-Man things. I'm just going to throw something out there. I really, I really, really enjoy Spider-Man Homecoming. I really enjoyed Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, both of which have had heavy Kevin Kevin Feige influence, right? Heavy Kevin Feige influence. The two best Spider-Man movies ever made were done without Kevin Feige. Uh, Spider-Man 2, directed by Sam Raimi, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. A movie that I poo-pooed on for a year before it came out, Rob. That that was a movie I said for a year, this is going to be crappy. The first trailer for Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse came out. I said, I don't even like the animation style. That looks too weird. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was going to be any good. And it it was my third overall favorite film of the year. I thought it was the best comic book movie of the year. I thought it was better than Black Panther. I thought it was better than Infinity War. Um, I, I, I just... I love it. So, I mean, the two best Spider-Man movies are ones that have been done without Kevin Feige. No diss on Kevin Feige. I love Homecoming and Far From Home. I do. But it's just uh, a lot of people seem to think that Sony doesn't know how to make a good Spider-Man movie. I'm like, really? Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, the first Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. They also made Spider-Man 3 and the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, they did. No taking that away, but eh, just something to think about. All right, next up. Rodrigo uh, Velarde writes, one of two, ending for WandaVision. Wanda looks at the camera with red glowing eyes, a hand. She, she utters the words, no more. We don't hear the rest. It goes black. The standby color bars pop up. We get five seconds of silence and we hear, and then a graphic changes to, uh, this is the emergency broadcast system. This is not a test standby. Ooh, <laughs> that's creepy. That's really creepy. Rob, look, I... I have become convinced that (laughs) this series will end with the words, no more something. You know, she's clearly not going to say the exact phrase from House of M of no more mutants. She's not going to say that. But I I believe, again, I don't know, pure fan speculation. I believe this series ends with her saying no more something. I don't know what that something is yet. No more superpowers. No more sword. No more children. If I lose my children, (laughs) nobody gets to have their children. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I do believe that this is a good example, Rob, of what I think they're going to take thematically from the comics, but not take specifics from the comics. So I am becoming more convinced it's going to end with the words, no more something. And then I love that idea of the please stand by this. I don't know. That sounds kind of cool. I don't know, Rob. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, I, I think you're probably right about that, that that's going to. But 
and I don't know what that no because it can't be no more mutants because there aren't any mutants to start with. Right. So it's not that. But you know, no more sorcerers, <laughs> no more. I don't know, but um, uh, I, I I do think it's going to be something along those lines, and I do think, however, it's going to end. It's going to end on a massive cliffhanger. I mean, something that's going to lead into the Spider-Man three situation and the multiverse of madness, and I I. But I, and it's going to end unpleasantly for Wanda, um, and she's going to she's going to be turned full on supervillain, and I I'm I love that. But By other the way, than that, I I don't know I don't know what the extent is or how that's going to be. By the way, got a lot of people in the live chats have a th- having their theories both about last word is going to be no more DC movies. Some people saying <laughs> no 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 more Army Hammer is what no she more says. Star Wars sequel trilogy. No more Avengers. So some people are throwing in the uh, like Kirk wow. Novak and some others are putting in there no more Avengers. She says uh, no more multiverse. Some people say. Uh, no more Batman. Some people say, I I don't know, but by the way, here's another thing. You know, we were talking a lot about how, um, the person that they really need to show up that makes the most sense is the one she has been closest to, which is Hawkeye. Hawkeye is the one she has absolutely been closest to talking thematically. Again, they, they don't necessarily take directly from the comic books, comic books, the comic books, MCU's the MCU. They're two different things, but it should be pointed out that, when you talk about the two stories that flow together in the comics, Rob, uh, Avengers Disassemble go, that went into House of M, it should be noted that one of the pivotal things in that is that Wanda kills Hawkeye. It's also one of the things that she kills Vision, too. Now, whether or not we're going to have Hawkeye shows up, she kills Hawkeye, and then somehow Hawkeye's going to have to come back as Hawkeye's got his Hawkeye series, unless the Hawkeye series happens before the events of, of the, which I don't think it does. But I don't know. It could get crazy, Rob. It's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, let's see. But I, oh, that's a creepy theory you put out there, Rodrigo. That would be totally spine tingling if it happens like that. All right, the sock rights. Uh, I just wanted to say that while I was at Sorry, I just wanted to say that while I was at the parks, you helped me a great deal. Uh, I get quite nervous and self-conscious in large crowds when I'm just doing nothing. So I just put on my headphones and you put on one of your shows. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Sock. I appreciate the kind words and thank you for being a part of our community. And I am honored and privileged that we get to be there and be a part of your regular day. So that's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. All right, next up, um, Ryan Loner writes, One part about the Ahsoka show I'm surprised I haven't seen brought up anywhere was the fine with those obvious foam tendrils. Oh, I was fine with the obvious foam tendrils for a single episode guest spot, but I'm really hoping that part of the costume is improved for when we see the lead star. Well, I mean, this is one of those situations, Ryan, where you got to pick your poison, right? People say, CG is bad. We don't like CG. We want practical. Oh, no, you love CG. You just don't realize. CG is just so good that you don't even realize how good CG is. But if you want practical, there are some limitations with practical effects. I agree. I looked at the the head tendrils in Ahsoka, and I thought, okay, they're a little bit iffy, and maybe there's some room for improvement. But, Rob, there's only so much you can do. You're supposed to have these living, like they're they're part of her biology, these living things attached to her 
I, I think there's a limitation for how good you can make them look and be real and not be touching them up with CGI or anything. So I think what I'm guessing is going to happen, Ryan, is what happened in that one episode of Mandalorian. We're going to see it. We're going to recognize those don't look great. But within about 30 seconds, we didn't even notice it anymore. You know, we just said, okay, that's what it looks like. And then we move past it and we don't even notice it anymore. I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to be okay with it once we get a look at it. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Next up, Simon Blakemore writes, hey, John and Rob, if he is there, he is here. As a matter of fact, I am. I was scrolling through my Facebook the other day uh, day and Zavi. Let's see. I was scrolling through my Facebook the other day and Zavi were advertising the Hasbro Black Series Darth Vader helmet. I couldn't resist it. I had to buy it. And so I did. It's on the way. It should be here by the weekend. I, I think one of the one of the things that Anne um, was really loved uh, as far as the lines at Hasbro when she used to work at Hasbro, she loved the Black Series line. Do you have you seen this Black Series helmet, Rob? Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, the, those helmets are great. That's something. My, my wife got me a Darth, a full size Darth Vader helmet. It's right now. It's in storage because we just moved. I've never opened it. I've never opened it. I should go and get that thing open because that should be on a shelf somewhere. Anyway, hey, listen, man, seriously, please do, Simon. Feel free to send uh, email me a picture of it once you get your hands on it because I would like to see that. All right, next up, uh, Sam Fisher writes, uh, sent in on February 9th. That was yesterday. Uh, I think the engineer and the Luke level cameo are connected, but what if it's not the character but the actor? When Olsen said a Luke level cameo, she could have uh, been instead of saying and meant a Mark Hamill level cameo. Well, here's the problem with that, Sam. Let's follow your analogy. Outs I, and I love Mark Hamill. Don't get me wrong. But apart from Luke Skywalker and being Luke Skywalker, is Mark Hamill doing a cameo in, in other movies really that big of a thing? I would suggest not like he cameoed, like he's in Flash. The Flash TV series is the trickster, right? And I love him in that, but it's not like the world went crazy that Mark Hamill was the trickster in the Flash, right? So I don't think she's just talking about an actor. I, I, I don't. I think she's talking about a character, probably a combination of the two, probably an actor we very much recognize playing a character that'll make us go, wow. I think it's probably a combination of the two. What do you think, Rob? I think you're exactly right. I mean, uh, that I think that would be the best way to go, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but again, again, it's, I, you know, I, it's so weird because I just, I don't know. There's, there's the more that we see the game, the more that we get into these things and how they're dealing with these kinds of characters, uh, I, I'm surprised because do they, do they stay close to the way that these characters have been previously portrayed, whether they're in other mediums or not, or when you bring them into a, a new, uh, like a new arena, how much do that you reinvent them? What do you do? And I think it works out if it's a combination of the two, really. Right. Yeah, it probably makes sense. But listen, Rob, uh, we, uh, we've taken you overtime again here today. Thanks a lot for being here for us. Uh, but in the meantime, 
Where can people follow you and all of your greatness and glory online? And by the way, where, where can people get some information about that little film you've got making the festival circuits right now? Well, if you live in the San Diego area, John, Tango Shalom debuts tomorrow at the San Diego Jewish Film Festival. I think it's the 31st, but you don't have to be Jewish to watch it. Um, if you like comedies and you like family comedies and you like something like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, it's, it's a virtual film festival. So anyone in the greater San Diego area can see it. Uh, starting tomorrow and in the next couple of days, if you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, at their Jewish Film Festival, you can also see it there. So it's been, it'll be playing virtually for about the next two weeks on both sides of the country. So that's exciting, and it's rolling out at a number of different festivals. But you can find me on um, Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. All right, dude, as always, a pleasure and honor having you here, my friend. I will talk to you a little bit later. Have a good one, man. All right. I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Do go, if you haven't checked out the trailer for his movie, Tango Shalom, go and check it out. I think it looks delightful. I cannot wait to see this thing. Uh, next up comes us from Sam Fisher, who writes, Saw a theory it could be Talos's daughter, who Monica became friends with during Captain Marvel and might have stayed friends with while Talos is on Earth. So it's not that it's Talos's daughter, but the actress playing Talos's daughter can't think of an actress, though. That's an interesting theory, too, because remember, the they're now they're part of the MCU now. They're there. And in that post credit scene, we see Nick Fury up on the spaceship. They are a prominent part of this now. And some people have brought up um, Talos, but nobody else has brought up Talos's child. That is a real, that is something I hadn't considered. I'm going to have to think more about that, Sam. Thanks for bringing that up. That is something that I've, that's really not been on the radar and maybe it should be. Anyway, thanks for bringing it up, Sam. Next up, Luis uh, Lena's writes. Had the same thought as you about Wanda's kids being made from Westview's kids. But I was just thinking a less dark theory uh, that the kids are being held hostage by Wanda slash other villain for the town's cooperation as referenced by for the children. Maybe here's the problem with that. It it that implies Look, we already saw when Vision brought Norm out. Norm is under some kind of spell and hypnosis. He doesn't need his child being held hostage. Not to mention, if he had a child that was being held hostage, the first thing he was going to ask about wasn't going to be, you know, my sister's looking after my dad. He would ask it to be, where's little Sally? Where's my child, right? They would be. He would be thinking in terms of, where's my kid? And not to mention, they're not just... Uh, just playing around there for the most part most of the time under some kind of mind control so i don't know about that my one thought besides that you know want to cannibalize them to make her own kids is maybe the one part of her that's still sane was like let's get the kids out of westview and not make them a part of this you know let's let's take the children out i'm gonna hold all the adults but let's get the children out but i don't know Luis. let's keep our head on that all right next up double b studios writes I have a new theory. I think Dottie may be Mephisto or the main villain. That's not a new theory. That's a, <laughs> Dottie maybe being the main villain is a theory that's been around for a bit. Uh, when the devil gets referenced, Agnes uh, leans over and whispers to Wanda and says, that's not the only place he is. And in the line, Dottie is the key in this town. I freaking love this show. Yeah, I mean, that's why that's the line, right? 
that's the line that's got a lot of people talking is when she says like Dottie, when Agnes is talking to Wanda, they're walking down the sidewalk and she's implying that, oh, from from a social point of view, she's the key to everything. What if Agnes wasn't just talking about socially the key to everything? What if Agnes was hinting that Dottie is actually much, much more? And, and that's possible. Dottie could be a, a big main player here. The one thing I would suggest, though, is this. You guys remember that scene? Like, right now, the funniest line so far, I think, in WandaVision is when Dottie walks in to the room where her husband's sitting and she says, does this make me look look fat? And then the power goes off and the husband goes, oh, thank God, right? Funniest line of the show so far. But is that something that the actual villain of the show is doing? Is the villain of the show actually themselves caught up in the fantasy and acting like husband and wife and doing the, does this make me look fat? Oh, thank God. I don't know about that. I don't know. But I mean, who knows? It's possible. There could be something more to die to here. So we'll see. All right. Uh, what's next here? Um, let's see. Where are we at? A okay. That was double B studio. Okay. Next up. MD writes, uh, John, if you rewatch the scene where Pietro arrives, Darcy wasn't running back to the TV when the alarms went off. She was running back to pick up her long, her log book and was stopped in her tracks when she saw Pietro on the screen. She was on her way outside. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, so where this is coming from is that somebody threw out there that when Pietro shows up, and the alarms are going off that she, somebody was suggesting that somebody's coming out of the barrier again. And I said, I don't know because we see Darcy rushing back to her desk. When somebody's coming through the barrier, Darcy rushes out. So maybe, maybe if I look at it again, because listen, when I first saw it, it didn't look like she was just running to get her jacket and then sat down. I thought she was running back to her chair, but maybe I'm not remembering that right. Maybe I need to go back and check that out. Maybe that because if that's the case, then what episode six should start with is somebody coming out of the barrier, right? That's what episode six should start with. If your theory is correct. Um, but again, I'll have to go back and watch that again. What do you guys think? Do you guys, if you, the way you remember that last scene, do you remember Darcy running back to her chair or do you remember her running back to grab her jacket and then noticing the monitor and then sitting down? I thought she was just running straight back to her chair. I could be wrong about that. What do you guys think? All right, uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up is RK writes. Hey, John, do you think the aerospace engineer talked about in WandaVision could be the kid from Iron Man 3? Uh, at the end of Endgame, he looked old enough to be one. Uh, okay, here's the thing. I love that idea. I love that theory. The problem is he was not old enough. He's still pretty young. He's still a kid. So... Because if you guys remember, at the end of Endgame, it was a like it, it's the one guy during Tony's funeral scene as the camera's going by everybody, and it goes by this kid standing there in a suit, and everybody's like, "Who the hell is that?" It's the kid. It's the same actor. It's the kid who was in Iron Man three with uh, with Robert Downey Jr. 
and it's the same kid, but a lot of people didn't recognize him. Right. But he's still pretty young. So I, while I do love the theory, the reality is it's not a realistic thing. He's, it's just a human kid and he's still just a kid. So I'm going to guess probably not. I'm going to guess probably not. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to, uh, that's what I'm going to Ty Simpkins. That's right. Black bleach is putting the, the kid's name is Ty Simpkins. So I'm going to guess probably not. All right. Next up, uh, Timbula, the spider monkey writes, Thanks to yesterday's show, I now have the mental image of a plumber whose nuts are in the vice grip of a Rottweiler's jaws, holding a finger up and saying, I rescue myself from your, I recuse myself from your employment and I can't stop laughing. Can we get that on a t-shirt? So what, what Tim is referring to is, uh, somebody was asking about, you know, the story out there that, um, what's his name? Uh, Army Hammer, that his publicity company and his agency have parted ways with him. Right. And somebody wrote in a question says, so wait a minute, did they fire, um, army hammer? How does that all work? And the, what I, the way I described it was no, no, no. Remember army hammer doesn't work for his agent and army hammer doesn't work for his publicist. His publicists work for him. His agents work for him. And what they have done is that they've said, okay, we're not going to work for you anymore. We're, we're, we're no longer going to have you as a client. So, and then I said, it's kind of like, if you have a plumber in your house, you don't work for the plumber. The plumber works for you. You're the plumber's client. But if something bad is going on in your house, like you have a Rottweiler that bites his nuts all the time, he's going to say, you know what? I recuse myself from being, from having you as my client. That's going to happen. So you're right, Timbo. Maybe I should get that on a shirt. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, hold on a second. Do, 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 do. Right, what am I missing here? There it is. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John, if Evan Peters is a new Pietro, maybe a mashup of uh, Amons and um, uh, of Amons? Uh, and Aaron Taylor Johnson's, he would not have, uh, he would not have Fox baggage. And I think we could see Evan on an ongoing basis. Would this be acceptable to you? Well, it's not what's acceptable to me or not. It's not what's acceptable. It's, it's about what works. And I'm just don't know that certain things would work, but yes, I mean, listen, it could be theoretically that this is a whole new Pietro. Again, I, I think it's just an imposter, but it's, it's, it is possible. It's a whole new Pietro. Just like Vision isn't the Vision that we saw in the other Marvel movies. This Vision is a new creation. That's why he has no memory prior to Westview. Vision is dead. This thing they're now calling Vision is like, uh, it, it's basically, it's a new entity. That's my theory right now at any rate, right? Maybe that's true as well of the Pietro character. Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up. Um, Mr. C writes one of three. Okay. New theory. Uh, this whole scenario is put together in order to get wanted to have kids. She seems surprised to be pregnant. Also in episode two, it was for the children, her children. The next part is they need to reach a certain age. So different scenarios are conceived in order to get the kids to age up. Once they reach a certain age, they will be taken. And this whole thing comes crashing down. Also, why the decades uh, jump ahead to speed the process up as well. Wanda does not know about it. Uh, an unseen force is pushing Wanda in the direction, using her inner pain and desires to make her project the hex. All she knows 
is that she is all she knows is she has what she wants and does not want to lose it. Uh, she doesn't know she's being used. I could be wrong, just a theory. And you're not the only one to have that theory, Mr. C. You're not the only one to have that theory. So you're not alone in that. Now, the, the one thing that I question is about if some other entity had the power to just make her pregnant, he doesn't need for her to live in some weird world. He doesn't need for her to live in a, a television sitcom world in order to do that. If that's the case. So I'm not sure. Plus, there's no, how would that entity know that the two twins that would be born would then have the ability to age themselves up? I, I just, I don't know. So there'd have to be some real deep narrative explanation to that. Actually, there'd have to be a lot of different explanations for that. So I'm not sure now, the, but what I do believe is that there is another player involved. This clearly isn't all just Wanda doing it. I think she's very much responsible to a great degree, but there's clear there's also another agent at work here. Whether that agent is Mephisto or Dumamu or, you know, the director of S.W.O.R.D. or Agnes or whoever else you want to throw out there, the, the essence of the Mind Stone, I do think there's something else involved, but for what purposes and who they are specifically, that I still don't have a good theory for, and maybe we'll find out more in 30-something hours when the next episode of WandaVision airs. All right, thanks for that, Mr. C. Appreciate that, man. All right, JP from the Bronx writes, Hey, John. First time, long time. Thanks for writing in, JP. I'm a huge horror movie fan, and I was really excited to see the trailer for M. Night's upcoming flick, Old. What horror movies are you looking forward to this year? Do you have an all-time favorite? Keep up the great work. My all-time favorite horror movie is, one, is uh, American Werewolf in London. Not to be confused with American Werewolf in Paris. That movie sucked. But American Werewolf in London is my all-time favorite horror movie. Um, and I think my second favorite horror movie is probably The Descent, which you won't hear a lot of people put The Descent on the, like their top five, top ten. I love The Descent. I love that movie. So those are my two favorite. Um, listen, I'll tell you what. I was not all that interested in old at all. I thought the trailer was very interesting. It's like, okay, now you have my attention, M. Night. You've got my attention now. Let's, where, where are you going with this? I, I got to tell you, I really was. I, I had very, very little interest in this movie before that trailer dropped. And now I'm quite interested. Of course, the other one is the new Halloween. I don't like any Halloween movies. None of the movies from the Halloween franchise. I don't enjoy a single one of them. Until... That latest one came out with Jamie Lee Curtis. That latest one, I really ate that up. I had a great time with that movie. And so I'm very much looking forward to the next one as well. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, Captain Blue Pants writes, one of two. There's so many Disney Plus shows lined up and there's still the likes of The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol to return. I'm reading that HBO Max and CW are in talks to joint finance some DC series. I think this may be the only way uh, for future CW shows to survive and compete on the same scale as the aforementioned series. As by contrast, they're just so cheap and these new series really have blown up. I can also see them perhaps cutting their 23 episode seasons to something much shorter. Your thoughts? Yeah, I was reading a lot about that. I was reading a bunch about how that HBO Max, according to some reports, that HBO Max and CW are talking to each other. They're both owned by the same company, but 
they're talking to each other about co-financing some shows, some shows that would air both on CW and on HBO Max. The big question I have about that is how does that benefit HBO Max like at all? The whole thing, we've talked about this a lot lately, right? About the whole thing about the streaming wars is going to be about this. Original content, exclusive content is king. We are heading very quickly towards an era where the big thing that's going to win the battles between all the new streaming services coming and all the ones that are out now is who has the best and most important lineup of exclusive shows. You want to watch the new Lord of the Rings series? You got to have Amazon Prime. You want to watch The Crown? You got to have Netflix. You want to watch The Mandalorian? You got to have Disney+. Plus. You want to watch, I don't know, Watchmen? You got to have HBO Max, right? That's the whole thing. What I don't understand is, knowing that that's the reality that we're heading into, how on earth does it benefit HBO Max to co-finance and then both air? Like, let's make up a show. Um, I don't know. Testicle Man. Okay. So CW and HBO Max go in on a show together called Testicle Man. I don't even want to think about what that dude's superpowers are. We're just going to call him Testicle Man. How does it benefit? How does it benefit HBO Max to do Testicle Man if Testicle Man is just going to be on CW as well as HBO Max? HBO Max did just did nothing to increase the incentive of somebody signing up for HBO Max because they want to watch Tentacle Man because Testicle Man because guess what if they want to watch Testicle Man they don't need HBO Max they can just watch CW they don't need why would one of these streaming services and by the way I'm not saying that the story isn't true I'm saying I'm trying to figure out what is WB's thought process here because if the whole idea is to create content that motivates people to sign up for your service how does having a show like testicle man again i have no idea what his superpowers are how how does that ha- help you when somebody doesn't need to have hbo max in order to watch it so i i'm a little bit confused about that i'm a little bit confused about that so i'll be really curious to hear one of the wb executives lay out what their rationale is i'm sure they have a reason i i just can't think of what the reason is because it seems to be a self-defeating thing right now but i don't know we'll we'll see all right thanks for that captain blue pants next up c loss writes greetings john greetings c loss here's a theory for you it's the children after hearing about their uncle who lives far away it is in fact their combined powers that brought this version of pietro to this universe it's not bad uh, not knowing which version brings in of course okay here's the problem though then what caused the things that happened before the kids existed right so if the kids are the unseen force causing a lot of these things to happen well what caused wanda to get pregnant in the first place what caused a lot of this stuff so see i i like this theory because i pointed out that it is interesting that wanda says in that in episode five she says when asked if she has a brother she said she didn't say i did she says i do I have a brother who's far away. And sometimes that makes me sad. 
So the children hear that and go, okay, let's bring mama's brother here. Make mommy happy. I like that theory. That's good. It, it does leave some hanging questions about where then, then what caused things before that, that would still leave us with the need for another player involved. You know what I'm saying? But I think that's interesting. I do think let's keep our eyes on that. I like that sea loss. All right. Twilight breaking why or wind rights. Hey, John, big fan. Thank you so much. Twilight. We got a big fight coming up this weekend. Who do you got? Usman or Burns? And I remember you saying you trained a little in MMA yourself I, I for many years. Yes. Uh, have you ever been in a fight? Uh, uh, rather it be in a cage or on the streets? Uh, story time, John. I'm not telling any stories. But no, I, no I, I've, I've trained in martial arts most of my life, um, including had the privilege of, of training uh, Randy Couture at, uh, at Legends MMA for a long time. Anyway, but uh, no stories. But the Usman Burns things, um, this is fascinating. There, because I say this honestly, there is, I don't believe there is another welterweight in the world that stands a chance against Usman. I don't think there is a single other person in the world at welterweight other than maybe George St. Pierre coming out of retirement for a fight. I don't think there's another welterweight in the world who stands a remote chance against Usman. Not a chance. The only one who does is Burns. Burns is a beast. That dude, that dude is special. He is incredibly fast. He's got, his hands are lightning quick. His reaction times are quick. He's got beautiful grappling. He is a devastating striker. He is just an animal. And so I think if anybody has a chance, and remember, these two guys are teammates. These guys train together. They're coming out of the same gym. They're friends, right? And so they'll know each other's game very, very well, which makes this extra fascinating. Ultimately, I think this goes to a decision. I think it's going to go all five rounds. And at the end, Buffer is going to say, and still. So I think the title stays where it is, but it's going to be a great fight, man. It's going to be a great fight. I cannot wait to watch this. All right. Uh, Jin Yuhichi writes, uh, WandaVision theory. I don't think it's anything mystic. It's hex, uh, anything mystic. The hex is in a hexagon shape. And what looks like grid lines uh, running through the structure. This leads me to think that our true villain controls tech and is using Wanda to create something. Um, my guess is Modoc. He uh, he controls tech, and I could see him trying to use her powers in order to create the cosmic cube, uh, a device that could. Uh, make any desire a reality, and I could see it as a device to lead into multiverse shenanigans. And Modoc is another one, Jinyu. Modoc is another one that I'm hearing a lot of people throwing out there. Again, I don't see any narrative connection, though. That's see, I see the same problem with Modoc as I do with um, Red Skull. Like it's interesting, cool character, could be fascinating, but there's really no narrative connection there right now, right? And I don't know that there's a piece of technology that can make Wanda Maximoff do the things that she's doing. But again, you're not alone. That MODOK thing is definitely a thing that's out there right now. And the, the, the notion that it's not a mystical spiritual force 
like a Dormammu or like a Mephisto or something like that, but rather a technological source of the problem. That's interesting too. And that wouldn't that be like Kevin Feige? You know, like in Thor 1, what uh, you call magic or science we see is one and the same. Like, wouldn't that be a very Kevin Feige sort of thing to do? Again, I, I have my doubts about it, but it is going to be something to keep our eyes on. All right. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, anonymous on purpose writes, Tom Holland. Spider-Man 3 story is absolutely insane. The most ambitious standalone superhero movie ever. Also Tom Holland. I honestly have no idea what the film is about, and I'm eight weeks into shooting it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, we've gone over the Tom Holland stuff, like Tom Holland first saying he didn't know if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were going to be in Spider-Man 3. Then he comes out and says, no, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are not in Spider-Man 3. Hey, listen, Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, I should say. Tom Holland is trying his best, and I love Tom Holland. I've, I've grown to appreciate him more and more. I love the kid. He is learning to not be such a blabbermouth anymore. He's gotten in trouble before for, for leaking things and spilling things. I don't think when it comes to talking about Spider-Man 3, I don't believe we should believe anything that comes out of his mouth. He could come out and say, Spider-Man is in Spider-Man 3, and I just simply wouldn't believe him. I, I just don't think we should believe anything that comes out of his mouth. I wouldn't believe him if he if he said Andrew Garfield is in it. I don't believe him if he says he's not. I don't believe him if he says, you know, Doctor Strange is in it, even though we already know he will make an appearance. But even if he says Doctor Strange is in it, I don't know that I'll believe him. And if he comes out and says, I don't know, Testicle Man. Testicle Man is our big cameo in Spider-Man. I don't know that I believe. Right now, I believe nothing that comes out of Tom Holland's mouth at all. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Captain Britain writes. What if the Luke level cameo is Hamill himself? Again, I, I don't believe that is any. I don't think that would send shockwaves through the world just because Mark Hamill was in like the flash and that's really cool. And I loved it. And I know a number of you did, but it's not like that send any kind of shockwaves around the world uh, is Hamill Hamill himself. Uh, minds would melt. Not really 1% chance, but I can dream. Uh, we may get an iconic actor like Hamill, Gary Oldman or similar also referred to the casting specifically. And Bettany made reference to a mystery actor too. Right. But the person that Olsen was talking about and the person that Bettany was talking about are not necessarily one in the same. And again, let's be honest. I love Mark Hamill. Don't make no mistakes about it. I love Mark Hamill. But Mark Hamill appearing in something as Mark Hamill or as something else other than Luke Skywalker is not going to make people's brains melt. It's, it's just not. Mm. Some of us in the very center of the core uh, will get, would get very excited about it. Sure. But let's, let's be real. The, the average television and movie fan, just the, the actor Mark Hamill popping up as a cameo in something isn't earth shattering or anything like that. <laughs> now Mark Hamill shows up as Luke Skywalker. That totally, that changes the game, right? It is multiverse, right? Why can't Luke Skywalker show up? I mean, if it's really a multiverse of madness, why not Luke Skywalker? What's stopping in this big, wide open, unlimited multiverse of madness? Why couldn't it be Luke Skywalker? Luke Skywalker shows up in WandaVision, pulls out a lightsaber. 
There would be people shitting their pants across the globe. There would be a there would be an environmental crisis because all at one time, five billion people across the planet all defecating and releasing all sorts of terrible gas into the atmosphere. It would threaten civilization as we know it if Luke Skywalker himself shows up. But as Mark Hamill, I don't think so. But it is it is what it is. All right. Um, let's see where are we at here. Uh, Chris writes. So I was looking at my Facebook memories today. It popped up that it was seven years ago that Jeremy Johnson, Mark Ellis and Christian Harloff and you were on AMC together for the first time. You guys were talking about the first Lego movie. Was it seven years ago? I can't believe that was seven years ago. Unless Jeremy was just as a guest. Yeah, if Jerry, if you're talking about Jeremy being a guest on the show, this was before. I think this would have been before. This would have still been AMC days before we brought him onto the staff. I think that would. So that yes, but man, seven years ago. Oh my God, time is time is flying, man. Time is flying. All right, thanks for that, Chris. Seven years ago, uh, fluctuating capacity rights. I tried. I tried to watch the MCU in order. Uh, the movie events appeared in timeline. I realized I couldn't do it. Not a fan of the first cat movie. I love, I think the first cat movie is the third most underrated comic book movie of all time. Uh, Thor two and Iron Man two. So I'm going to try the same with star Wars, but I dread watching the prequels and solo again. Whenever anybody asks me what order should I watch? You know, I'm new to the MCU. Uh, this is my first time getting the MCU. What order should I watch them in? I always say the same thing and it's unpopular to some, but Watch them in the order that they were released. Uh, but John, if you want to get a timeline, this happens before the, it, it doesn't matter. Watch them in the order that they were released. That way you are experiencing the movies the exact same way everybody else is, who has already watched the Marvel stuff has experienced them. I say the same thing about the Star Wars movies. Don't watch them in chronological order. Watch them in the order in which they were released. That way, your experience of the Star Wars movies is going to be the same as the experience of all those who have seen them. So I always go with that one myself. Yeah, myself, I, I just go that one. All right, next up. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, One thing that really annoys me is when a book adaptation is made and there was already another adaptation, people call it a remake of that movie rather than just another adaptation like the book doesn't exist. Well, here's the thing, Ryan, though, it's because sometimes it is a remake rather than another adaptation of the book. Right. For example, the Watchmen on HBO, that was not an extension of the movie. Watchmen, that was directly an extension of the novel and the book. But there have been times when a movie gets made based on a book and then a remake is done. And then you'll hear the family. It really is a remake of the movie, not so much as another adaptation of the book. So sometimes it's one thing. Sometimes it's the other. It depends on what, you know, where the filmmaker was drawing their primary source of reference from, whether it was from the movie version of it or the original book version of it, but it can be one or the other. It, it can be both, uh, but a good thing to point out there, Ryan. Well done. All right. Next up, um, new Wanda order for life rights. Any chance Rob could join the WandaVision spoiler talk shows, uh, even for a moment? No, probably not. Uh, your former uh, Collider colleague, John Roca, has Michael Voga, Shannon McClung, and Emma Fife in his spoiler talk videos, and I think three to four people adds to the entertainment. I I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I disagree. I, I really do. I don't think four plus people is a good thing. And so, but, Judd, you used to have four people on movie. I did. 
I did. I think that was a mistake. Uh, really, I think, I think three people, two to three, I think is the sweet spot for a show like mine. I think two to three is really the sweet spot. One is fine. Often I'll do the show solo. Uh, two is really ideal. Three is okay. Three now and again is okay. The, but the reason I can't have uh, Rob on for WandaVision as well is that I can't afford it. <laughs> I mean, I, I really very much believe when, when people appear on my show, I pay them. I don't do this. Oh, they're a friend of mine. So just come and do it free. No, no, no. When somebody comes on my show and they're going to contribute their talent, I like to pay them. So I can only afford to pay Rob so much. Um, But even though he is a friend of mine, I insist. And he's volunteered to do stuff for me for free before. Absolutely. But, you know, I I have a very important rule. If you're going to be on my show, I'm going to pay you. Um, The other thing is this. The WandaVision and the Mandalorian and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier thing, that's that's one of the very few things that Anne and I get to do together. That's one of the things, rare things that Anne and I get to do together. And having three people on that is just a no-starter, non-starter. And here's why. The last WandaVision spoiler discussion we did, all together, like when you add in the the uh, part two and part three, like we did the last one, they're six, seven, eight, nine hours long. Right. And that's with just having two people and sometimes one. If Ann and I were joined by Rob or any third person, it would slow it down even more. And we have a lot of people who send in a lot of observations, theories, uh, speculations, questions, and stuff like that. And we need to get through those questions. And if we have three people on instead of two, it, it reduces the amount of questions that we get through significantly. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different things. Number one, I mean, look, I do a lot of videos with Rob and I love my videos with Rob, but I only get to do one thing with Ann and that's our post-show spoiler discussions. That's the only thing I get to do with Ann. And again, having two people is slow enough. Having a third person in it would slow it down even more, even if it's somebody as great as Robert Meyer Burnett. So no. And uh, as far as what other people do, I I don't care what other people do. Other people can do it with one person, three people, five people, eight people, doesn't matter. If that works for them, God bless. I have over the years learned and identified and discovered what works best for me and the shows that I do. And while three can be okay for something like the WandaVision thing, where we literally get a thousand questions in, it's just not, uh, it's just not a reality time-wise to be able to do it efficiently. And I'm spending a lot of time on this question because I think it brings up a lot of very interesting things. But uh, yeah, that's what I think the sweet spot is. And that's why we do it, uh, do it that way. But thank you for asking New Wanda for Life. All right, next up, not to mention... We get a lot of Wanda questions on the regular show that Rob is here to answer as well, right? So, I mean, we get the best of both worlds. We get the best of both worlds. All right, thanks for asking that, new Wanda. All right, Michael Bochar writes, Hey, John and Rob, if he's here, just missed him. Uh, I was wondering what were a handful of films you would recommend to cinephiles that haven't seen many classic movies. Uh, 80s and before, I appreciate all the work you've been putting in lately. Uh, Thanks for the great content. Um... I mean, these are the types of questions that I don't normally like to answer on the spot because it's it's they're the types. It's a great question, 
but it's normally the type of question I wish I would have time to sit down and really think through. But let me give you, so before the 80s, that would be some classics that maybe they haven't seen yet. There's a few that I have on you gotta, gotta, gotta watch list, right? Um, there's the obvious ones like Godfather. I mean, this is maybe the most influential movie ever made. So Godfather, another big obvious one is Citizen Kane, things like that. There are a few that I often refer to people to, uh, to though. One is very famous, but I find very few people of the new of today's generation have actually watched it. And that's Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia is absolutely brilliant with the fantastic Peter O'Toole. Lawrence of Arabia is one you've got to watch. Another one that we just talked about a little bit earlier in the show today, actually, Ben-Hur. The original Ben-Hur is all sorts of fantastic. Um, so the Ben-Hur, Bridge in the River Kwai is another one. Anyway, I, I love River Kwai. That, that's just fantastic. But those are just a couple of them, but those are ones that usually rank near the high of my list. So hopefully you get a chance to uh, check those out and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy them. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Michael. Okay, next up, uh, Big Poppy writes, what's up, John and crew? I was wondering if you noticed in one of the WandaVision trailers, Agnes is dressed as a witch for Halloween, similar to the Wizard of Oz. I also... I also don't think she's Agatha, but they sure are throwing a lot of curveballs to make us think she is. Oh, absolutely they are. Now, her being in the witch costume, that's the scene where uh, Vision brings her out of the the hallucination. That's the scene where she turns to Vision and goes, are you dead? Or no, am I dead? No, why would you ask that? Because you are, right? So, yes, I have. And you're right. They are throwing a lot at the audience to maybe uh, from the brooch that she wears to the fact that she's wearing a witch outfit in the one scene and a number of other things. They are doing a lot to kind of try to make us think that. And uh, maybe yes, maybe no. We will have to wait and see. All right, next up. Uh, Truman Marvel writes, Blessings, John and Rob. I love the show. Thank you so much, Truman. WandaVision is addressing the issue of mental illness in a compelling way. The show is entertaining, but Wanda's arc throughout the MCU films makes her growing mental instability, heartbreaking, believable. And I'd like, I'd like to believe, remember guys, if you have a multi-part question, try to put one of two and just so I know to look ahead. Anyway, I like to believe it raises awareness that those with mental illness require intervention, uh, fervent care, and in some cases, forgiveness. I am curious to see if Wanda will receive those things. Do you believe her arc will be uh, the redeemed hero or the fallen hero? I believe her arc is going to be the fallen hero. I believe it's going to be the fallen hero. And here's the thing. I don't know if they're actually touching on mental health here. I, I don't, but maybe they are. Maybe they are. Look, this is pain can affect us very deeply. Pain can make a person, the kindest person cruel. Pain can make the most, the person filled with the most empathy in the world to become callous. Pain can do a lot to us. And, and maybe that is a direct commentary on mental health. You might, maybe you're right about that. But I mean, when you're talking in the MCU, there are a few characters who have suffered as much tragedy and pain as Wanda has going all the way back to her childhood and all the way up till now. She is, it, it, she has, 
endured such traumatic events. Now, again, if you look back to some of the comic stories that a lot of things going on in this show are based on, particularly, you know, Disassembled and uh, House of M, there's not a happy ending coming if they follow that theme, if they follow that theme. There's a lot of specifics they won't do, obviously, but if, if they do follow that theme, I mean, it gets so bad to the point. I mean, for those of you who've read House of M, you guys know it gets so bad that like people like Professor Xavier and Mr. Fantastic and a bunch of the other Illuminati, they discuss whether or not they should just kill Wanda. I mean, even the heroes, like the X-Men and the Avengers together have this big conference to get together and say, look, we all love Wanda, but do we need to kill her? I mean, it gets that heavy. So I think we're looking at a tragic story and I think it ends with her as the fallen hero. But I mean, I don't know. Let's see what direction they want to take us in. All right. Next up. Thanks for writing that in Truman. Next up. Uh, big poppy rights. Is this one? Yes. Big poppy rights. I also noticed when Agnes was listening to Wanda talking to the twins, they said, mom, bring him back. And she said, I can't. And Agnes says, you can't with a sad face. And when the camera turns to Wanda, it seems as if Agnes is crying over her shoulder. You think uh, she was promised someone she loves like her husband was promised to be brought back if she participates in the shows. Here's the thing, Big Poppy. I remember that conversation differently. Now, everybody in the live chat, tell me what you guys think. But I remember her saying when when the kids suggest that she brings the dog back to life, I remember Agnes saying, you can do that like she's stunned. I don't remember her saying you can't do that. I thought I remember her saying you can do that. So what do you say? Did she say you can do that? Did she ask you can do that or did she say you can't do that? Okay, I've got Kirky Novak, Adam Robles. Uh, so far, writing in uh, uh, Zarel or also writing in uh, Kina. Okay, so everybody's writing. Okay, now, now here it comes. Mr. Green, Eric, uh, Richard, K Major, all saying you can do. Yeah, so I remember her saying, you can do that? Like, like that surprised her. Like, that shocked her. And so I, I think it was actually the opposite of what you are saying. Kelly was saying I'm right about. Okay, so yeah. I, it, it seems to me like the idea that she can do that was a shock and a surprise to Agnes. Like you can do that. Like she was stunned as opposed to the opposite at that time. So let's see. Let's see. Let's see where that goes. Big poppy could be a sign of something bigger coming. All right. Robert M writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's obviously not here right now. Given there are no children in WandaVision, but in the Halloween episode, there are lots of children. Could Wanda have used the town's children to create her own? And once Vision questions stole children, hence the posters in Spider-Man 3. See, I, for a long time, Robert, because of this, there, for those of you who don't know, I'm just, I'll just get you caught up here quickly. There were some set pictures from Spider-Man 3 that came out. One of the set pictures shows these bulletin boards plastered with posters of missing children. So clearly missing children is, is going to be a, a something relevant in Spider-Man 3. I myself propose the theory that what if those missing children from Spider-Man 3 are direct because we know Spider-Man 3 is in the same story as WandaVision. WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, and Doctor Strange 2 are part of one story arc, says Kevin Feige. So what if, I said, what if the missing children in Spider-Man 3 are the kids that are in that Wanda uses to populate Westview? 
Here's the problem with that theory, though. Spider-Man 3 takes place nine months to a year after the events of WandaVision, right? Remember, WandaVision takes place three weeks after Endgame. Spider-Man Far From Home takes place eight months after Endgame. And that's something that I, and I think a lot of us forget sometimes. WandaVision, what we're watching in WandaVision took place three weeks after Endgame. Spider-Man Far From Home takes place eight months after Endgame, which means Spider-Man 3 takes place even longer after that. So there's almost a year between the events of what's going on in in WandaVision and what's going to happen in Spider-Man 3. So I don't know. I mean, maybe time, She maybe she travels through time and takes children. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but I think my theory got shot down with that realization that there's so much time that happens up uh, between those things. All right, thanks for that, Robert. All right, guys, we just have time for a couple more here. Steve Stark writes, I asked this question the other day, just wanted to dig in a little more. Feige knew going into WandaVision that the devil Mephisto would be part of the conversation when people were talking about their show and the mouse house was okay with it. Kudos to the team. I I can just imagine the pitch for WandaVision. Okay, so how we top Thanos, the devil himself. Okay, works for me. I also wonder... Uh, there's a fan base that just wants the action, not the lore. Them and a younger audience, I wonder what they are thinking about the show. You know, it's interesting. First of all, I don't think... If you're thinking of what tops Thanos, you're not thinking about your one-shot vis- your one-shot villain in one series, right? You're thinking about who's going to be your overarching villain for the next 10 years of the MCU. That ain't going to be Mephisto. I don't even think Mephisto's involved, but he could be. He could be. We'll see about that. It's interesting you bring up the thing about how people are looking at the show because here we are getting so excited about WandaVision and there's been no action. In many, this this thing is defying the stereotypical comic book movie or show so drastically. Not only with the 50s and 60s sitcomism of it all, but the fact that there's been no action. What's, what's been the action? Wanda made guys point guns at somebody. Okay. Wanda and Vision get angry at each other and they both levitate on the air, but there's no fight. I mean, so far, the biggest thing of action in this show is Wanda blew the doors open on uh, at the S.W.O.R.D. headquarters and threw Monica out of the bubble. That's the biggest action we've had so far. And yet... Despite the fact that it's totally contrary to, to the standard tropes of what gets people excited about comic book fair, we are ravenously excited about this show. It's crazy. Even though it's defi- defying so many of the standard tropes, even MCU tropes of comic book movies and, and comic book shows. It's crazy, but it's working so well. It's been working so well. Uh, Circus of Five is writing in the live chat puts it very well it's been a character development and character conflict it's the core of good storytelling and that is what they're doing in this show and they're doing it really really well alright uh, thanks for writing that in Steve Stark next up Hot Rod Todd writes 
Uh, just finished season five of The Expanse. Hot damn, right? Hot damn, this show is good. Once it ends next year, where do you think it will rank in your opinion of the great sci-fi shows? I know it probably won't top... Uh, no, no, it's no Battlestar Galactica. It won't topple Battlestar Galactica. But with me, it's close to knocking off Deep Space Nine as my number one. Um, yeah, Battlestar Galactica, to me, is still easy, easily the greatest sci- sci-fi show of all time. Uh, to me, it's my all-time favorite show, period. To me, Battlestar Galactica is the greatest show. The Ronald D. Moore version is the greatest show ever on television. To me, that's just my opinion. So I'll tell you what, if season five is as good as seasons one through four, it'll be in the conversation for top five. Like, I still think obviously Battlestar Galactica is there. I still think Star Trek The Next Generation is up there. And there may be a couple of others, but it definitely enters immediately into the conversation for top five. Uh, I've really enjoyed my one problem with season four was that we didn't have the crew together like Naomi and like Amos and uh, Alex and and Hart. We didn't hold them. We didn't have them all together. That's to me when the show works the best, but still it was a fabulous season. Can't wait for next season. Thanks for that hot rod. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, 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 who knee writes, uh, Hey John, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is totally screwed. If Tom Hardy's venom, Jared Leto's Morbius and possibly Keanu Reeves's Craven is after him. Uh, LOL. By the way, Keanu Reeves has already checked off the villain role box. Remember 2013 man of Tai Chi. That is true. He did do that one. Not really a comic book villain per se, but, and not a lot of people watch man of Tai Chi and not many people should watch man of Tai Chi. Just my opinion, of course. Anyway, um, it it would be fun. But then again, remember, Venom is not portrayed in the Sony-verse as being a villain per se, right? He is, uh, I don't even know that he's an anti-hero. Well, maybe he does eat people. So I guess Venom does count as an anti-hero, I suppose. And then what kind of character are we going to get in Morbius? And what kind of character will Craven be? And by the way, that whole Keanu Reeves thing is just a rumor. May or may not be true. But still, it is. I Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. What Sony has been doing most recently with their Sony-verse, I have loved. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Venom, I know not everybody loved Venom. I had a marvelously good time watching that movie. I had a lot of fun with that movie. And I cannot wait to see what they do with Morbius. I think the trailers look great so far. So we'll see what happens. All right, next up. Uh, Anonymous on Purpose writes, uh, Hey, John. uh, WandaVision Episode 6 Theory. 90 sitcom is Seinfeld. Uh, That would be a great model for it. Famous actor Paul Bettany always wanted to work with is Jason Alexander. (laughs) By the way, I love Jason Alexander. Don't get me like I I completely love Jason Alexander. Make no mistake about it. But uh, I I don't know if Paul Bettany would be um, would be referencing Jason Alexander as the actor he has always wanted to work with. I mean, maybe, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Jason Alexander. I I take nothing away from Jason Alexander whatsoever, but I don't know if that's the case. Now, of course, well, you know what? Let's let's get through and finish reading your comment here. I always wanted to work with Jason Alexander, who's showing up as George and having one of his infamous meltdowns. uh, With that, he will push Wanda over the hedge. Serenity now. Yeah, no, I I don't think Jason Alexander's that guy. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I don't think Jason Alexander's that guy. 
I don't think he'd be the one that Paul Bettany's always wanted to work with or that Jason Alexander showing up as George Costanza would be the thing that, you know, breaks the internet. That being said, uh, I do love George Costanza. (laughs) I do love Jason Alexander. Where is he? He's right there. I do love Jason Alexander. Um, This was a, a, this was a, I've shown this picture before. This is an image of me and Jason uh, in Las Vegas playing poker together. He is a, uh, he plays in the World Series every year too, by the way. This wasn't at the World Series. This wasn't at the World Series. But uh, he is a, even like, he is an infinitely hilarious guy. Like, I remember this night in particular, like Jason just had like everybody at the table, like just laughing their guts out the whole time he was there. He's an incredibly funny, charismatic, wonderful dude. So please do not take this is me like a downplaying or whatever that like, like how cool Jason Alexander is not at all. But I don't think that would, I don't think that would qualify as the thing that Paul Bettany is really most looking forward to in life or anything like that. So that's, that's just my guess on that, but it would be funny anonymous. Wouldn't it be funny? It would be funny. Okay. Next up. Uh, Kit writes, Kurt, Kurt writes, uh, hello, John and crew. My take on Pietro is that he is a Quicksilver from another multiverse, but not the Fox one. That's been brought up before, and that's not bad. I think that's a nice compromise theory. Uh, I think the MCU is going the way of uh, DC TV and will have its own DC crisis-like arc where eventually the main Earth we see will be combined. Um, I went back and triple checked, and this is indeed a different variation of the scene. The original version, Wanda replies, oh, she has to go home. What did you make of this? Yeah, because in the original episode, she goes, you know, where's Geraldine? She had to go home. She had to rush home. But then in the next episode on the previously on WandaVision, they changed the dialogue to her saying she didn't belong here. It's like, that's not what she said before. Anyway, the whole idea that it's a different um, a different Pietro than obviously it's not Aaron Taylor Johnson, but it's not the one from the Fox movies either. That is a theory I'm hearing gaining some momentum amongst people. I, I still don't know that I buy into it, uh, Kurt, but it is a theory that is gaining momentum with a bunch of people. So maybe that is a way they could go. Don't know for sure, but we'll find out soon enough. All right, next up, we got uh, King Latom writes, Hey, John, on the previously on episode for WandaVision 5, it shows the scene from episode three where we were just talking about this, where Vision asks Wanda where Geraldine went. She replies, oh, she didn't belong here. A different variation of the scene that we did end from before. Um, went. Uh, I went back and triple checked. Oh, I said, oh, did I read a different one? Oh, I did. I accidentally read. Okay, part two. Anyway, so we already addressed King Latom. So there we go. We addressed King Latom. Part two of Kirt was uh, with elements from other multiverses, one that will include mutants. With this, Feige can bring the mutants on a relatively clean slate while picking and choosing which of the characters and story elements from the old Fox universe that he liked. Again, I don't think he's going to bring anything from the old Fox universe in. And of course, the big problem with saying we're just bringing mutants in now is it takes away the entire DNA of what the X-Men was built on, the historical development of the relationship between Charles and Magneto, a a community and a world that grew to fear 
mutants and that they were being oppressed. Remember, the mutants were all created as a living allegory of racism in America and to have that long standing thing there. It would, it would be difficult, but it is something they could do, Kier. It is something they could do. We'll have to see if that's the direction they actually go. All right. King Artros of Montevall writes. Hey, John, I know everybody thinks that Mephisto is a possibility and he is. I mean, I don't think it's Mephisto, but he's a possibility. He is. Uh, But what about Jamie Braddock? That's another one that I've heard brought up a couple of times. He also has a reality uh, manipulation ability. Do you think he may be involved with the creation of the WandaVision town? Thanks. No. Again, there has been absolutely zero reference, any narrative connection whatsoever in this show that would possibly show that like. I think what we got to resist the urge of doing is just scouring through comic books that to find any character anywhere that might have a power that could have done that without looking for narrative connection, right? At least in the comics, there's narrative connection between Mephisto and, um, and, and uh, Scarlet Witch, right? So that adds why I believe that's a legitimate possibility. I don't think it's Mephisto, but it is a legitimate possibility. So I don't think we can just start pulling out of any random character just because they have certain powers that could be reflected because what's the connection? Start with story, start with characters and what connects to them. And I don't really see anything there being there with Jamie. So I, at least that's where I'm at right now. That's what I think at any rate. Who knows, King Mar- uh, Artos? It could work out to be something different. All right, final question of the day, guys. Uh, Teddy Wren writes, I think some are complicating the Monica connection. Monica made a certain look after the mention of Captain Marvel potentially beating Thanos. What if the look was simply because she didn't? Therefore, Monica was uh, Monica was snapped and gone during her mother's death. I don't think so, because in the same regard, she would have to have the same anger towards Wanda. She would have to have the same anger towards every Avenger, right? And that's clearly not the case. I think, I mean, I'll tell you what, it is possible, Teddy, it's possible. But to me, in my head, I think it's very clear there is some type of character conflict between Monica and Captain Marvel right now. I I thought that they made that pretty clear. Now, again, just because I thought they made it clear, maybe it is something else like you're suggesting. That's possible. But I I really do think they were pointing towards more of of a character conflict. We will find out soon enough uh, what the case on that is. All right, guys, listen, uh, we've gone way over time today, but that's okay. Uh, for everybody else from uh, Dibset, Chris West, MD, and on, don't worry, guys. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later this afternoon. We'll get caught up on every question that got sent in today, and we'll have ready for a clean slate for tomorrow. By the way, guys, if you guys want to get a comment or question on tomorrow's show and you want to be one of the first ones that get answered you can send them in early you don't have to wait for the show to start you can go anytime anytime you want to the tip link that's at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip and yours will be one of the first ones that gets answered tomorrow and again to everybody else who's already sent in a question today your questions are going to get answered today uh, on the same day they were sent in on a companion video a little bit later keep your eyes open for that guys That'll be a wrap on today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and for your involvement. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and greatness to the show. Thank you to all of you for making this show a part of your day. We really appreciate that. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported the channel while you did it. And all of us here on the John Campion Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. 
Okay, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, no more Thanos.